You're listening. I just, I just don't care. No one is ever kidding Michael Cole. Of course he can roll a grudge forever. This is wrestling. Welcome back to This Is A Work. My name is David Hensley. I am the owner and creative director of Long Walk Productions, and I am here tonight to introduce your host, Robert. We didn't decide on a name beforehand, Brafford. Thank you, David. I am Robert the Red-Bearded Distinguished Gentleman, not Dogs, Brafford. And this is my co-host, Chris, the Fashion Plate Barnes. Honestly, the first one would be more appropriate for the uh, pay-per-view. And yeah. second, oh my goodness, Dave is here in person. I know. It's it's so good to see you again, man. Thank you. Thank you. I've had a busy six months. Adjusting back to civilian life. Is, I, how's that treating you? Uh, I relish it. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't do shit last night, and it was glorious. Nice. Yep. So happy to be back and uh, we'll happy to be in that. the studio again. Yes. Uh, so, well, Dave, uh, I think you picked a pretty good one to come back on. I don't know if you actually watched the pay-per-view, but... Unfortunately, no, I did not. I had to miss two weekends in a row of wrestling pay-per-views because I was in a soldier's play. Which is, shame, which is a shame. We need to get him to watch the main event, at least. Oh, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that one when we do, but... Uh, yeah, uh, I just want to say real quick, uh, I was busy two weekends in a row in uh, Free Rain Theater's production of A Soldier's Play, which has been nominated for nine Metrolina Theater Association Awards. That's right. Those awards will be presented at October 15th at Le Meridian in Uptown Charlotte. So if you're in the area and involved in the local theater community, might not be a bad idea to buy a ticket. And I don't usually do this a lot, but I'm going to pat myself on my own back here for a second. One of those nominations was for me for Best Sound Design. Yes, indeed. You are an award-nominated producer here at uh, Long Walk Productions. So you need to start appreciating this more, all of you. I assume they're listening. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to hand it over to you guys and stop uh, selling out. All right. Well, thank you, David. But hey, your show. Sell out as much as you like. So the podcast this week will be covering AEW's All Out Pay-Per-View 2023, following up one week after the All In event that was covered by Gina, yeah, Gina bless your heart, Brafford, and Shelby Deathray Patterson. It's a bad one to, to stop on. It's, I was going to say, did you forget your own wife's last name? Uh, I'm she, telling. <laughs> it, she's the one who hasn't gotten it legally changed yet. I'm just following up on this. And it's okay because she's definitely done the same thing on their podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, AEW, one week out from having the highest, uh, let's see, highest paid attendance record of any non-North Korean wrestling show in history. Legit. Legit. Uh, decided, what the heck, let's, uh, let's go for another one and have their regularly scheduled all-out event in Chicago. That by itself would have been a pretty tall order, but uh, some stuff happened in that week leading up to it. And while we're... It was just seven days. What could happen? Yeah, in wrestling. Come on. How much could possibly go wrong? Well, we're not going to try to have the whole episode taken up about this, but we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that uh, Phil Brooks, a.k.a. CM Punk, who was a hometown hero in Chicago, uh, one of the highest profile acquisitions during the run of AEW, has been terminated from the company. With cause. With cause indeed. Um, yeah. So it is in his honor that I am uh, drinking my beverage this evening, which I also had while uh, watching the show. It is a Gentleman Jack and a mixed with Pepsi. And I drink it out of real glass. 
to absent friends. Yeah, so CM Punk apparently uh, torpedoed his professional wrestling career because he just had to put Luke Perry's son in a chokehold backstage in front of a whole mess of people, including AEW boss Tony Khan. Who he then proceeded to yell at. Lunge at is also a term I've, I've seen used a lot. It's like that very specific phrase, lunging. I feel like the truth is probably stormed over at him. Yeah, so uh, it was one of those things that was reported while uh, All In was happening. Uh, more details kind of came out. Obviously, there were multiple people who had both sides. Um, oh, Lordy, there might be video. But surprisingly quick action on this, as Saturday night before collision, AEW announced that Punk was out of the company, all employment contracts terminated, and Tony Khan, just respect for this, not only um, released a video statement to be read before that night's broadcast of Collision, he went out to a live Chicago crowd that had bought tickets to CM Punk to see CM Punk and told them that he had made the decision to fire that guy. Their reaction was about what you'd expect, but you really can't imagine Vince doing that. Also, surprisingly, they kind of came around. They did, and that's think, something we can get into with this card. But I, yeah, I, I mentioned to you on the ride over. I think I think they kind of can't. I think they, because there's a there's a real genuineness to Tony Khan. I think that WWE does not have. Yeah, I, I think it helps that honestly you can tell just watching that video. This is not something he wanted to do. That like it, it was clear that honestly the the effort that he went to to try to find a way to make everything work after the events of last year's All Out. Uh, that he really, really wanted CM Punk to be a part of his company going forward. But mm-hmm. um, we still don't know all the details, but whatever they were, it was enough that apparently it was a uh, an independent review board and outside legal counsel both recommended that, yeah, Punk had to go. So he has been GTS'd off to that uh, giant Pepsi factory in the sky until he uh, shows up on his episode of Dark Side of the Ring two or three years from now. But yeah, so... Again, I don't, I don't want to make the whole episode just a sideshow about punk, but um, I will be sad that this is how his story ends because I think he's a tremendously talented guy. I loved you know his, his match with Darby, his feud with Eddie, his feud with MJF. He had great television while he was there, but there was just something about the atmosphere when that level of drama is just waiting to go off that oh, yeah. made it hard to enjoy the show sometimes. Um, and while I, uh, Lord, while I try not to judge any celebrity or any performer by the insanity of their fans, uh, the coping from punk fans on, uh, on Twitter this weekend was something to behold. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's just, there's something vehemently mean about the people supporting punk. The, the number of people who have to be wrong, like viciously, actively, consciously, willfully wrong in right. order for punk to be right is pretty staggering. And uh, just the, yeah, it's like you're talking about a 44-year-old man who put a co-worker in a chokehold and then apparently like went at his boss in whatever sense. And you're trying to come up with an excuse for like, well, he didn't have any choice. He had to do that. And I'm like, eh. First day on the internet? Ah. Uh, I'm like that uh, 51st States with Drew Barrymore. Like, every day I wake up and I just can't remember what Twitter was really like yesterday. But yeah, so not looking to make that the whole thing, but CM Punk is gone, and obviously a few things about this card had to be hastily rewritten, specifically uh, Ricky Stark's match. But uh, when we get to it, I think they came up with a pretty good fallback plan. 
So they uh, start off the show. Um, three matches on the pre-show. The first one is the over-budget battle royal. That yeah. Is, that is its actual name. It's a 20-man over-the-top rope battle royal. $50,000 will be awarded to a charity of the winner's choice. Um, yeah, it's a fun idea. It's always always good to see a battle royal on a card. I was actually kind of surprised they didn't get one at, uh, at All In just to have like all of the names uh, present for that one. But... Yes, you got some of your big names on here. You've got uh, Hangman Adam Page, uh, Chuck Taylor and Trent Barretta, the best friends, Jake Taylor. And you got some figures we haven't seen so much of uh, in a while on TV, like Tony Nese, Scorpio Sky. Um, I thought Tony Nese did a really good job with the opening promo he got to cut. Yeah, what, why don't you tell us what he, what he said when he came out? Uh, well, he, he, <laughs> he basically tried to lead everybody in like group exercises. Yeah. And everyone collectively went, no, beat him up and tossed him out first. Yeah. He, got to, he got to do the uh, the cheap heat of just, oh, these yeah. fat, lazy yeah. Chicagans. And yeah, while he was on the uh, on the mat doing push-ups, four guys came in, just picked him up and threw him over the edge. But yeah, uh, fun. It's a good bit and easy work. It really is. Hey, hope he, hope he got a little bit of that 50K thrown his way when it was all done. Um, yeah, so like all Battle Royals, it's a lot of chaos, a lot of fun spots. Um few people get to show off um i think one of my favorite bits on this was daniel garcia after he got eliminated oh. uh, we get a shot of him walking up the ramp somehow doing a dejected version of that dance that, movie oh, does with his, <laughs> yeah with his forearms up and his hips swiveling and it's just like how did how did he make that look sad i don't know but <laughs> again it just makes me think of any internet meme of like the uh the r2d2 a picture with sad beep boop in the caption <laughs> pretty much yeah dances sadly <laughs> beatboxes sadly i've seen that one too oh, wow um yeah so uh hangman kind of set some stuff out early on he and trent beretta kind of form an alliance um, that was interesting to watch i like i like seeing stuff like that happen yeah that they're both faces and they're not like a team or anything but they'll try to watch each other's back uh, final four in this one end up being Trent Beretta, Toa Leona from the Gates of Agony, Brian Cage, and Hangman himself. Um, Cage throws out Trent. Uh, Page hits a buckshot and uh, throws Toa Leona out. Uh, he and Cage have a pretty cool little sequence on the apron at the end where mm -hmm. um, Cage tries to get him up. I think it was for a pile driver or a tombstone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, Page counters into a dead eye, just dropping him uh, on the apron and rolling him out. So. Yep. Yep, Paige is your winner. And again, for all the heat he had with Punk, Chicago seemed pretty happy about that. Yeah. Plus, I mean, it's nice seeing this kind of match where Hangman Page, having proven himself a main eventer, comes out and does something like this. And it doesn't feel like a demotion. It, feel, it feels like he's, you know, out there helping really hype the crowd up. Yeah. Which he did a good job of doing. And there, there was a little bit of, uh, of notice earlier in the week that he wasn't set for the card until, I think, just before because... Yeah, I mean, obviously he you know took some he took a little bit of a step down after being their world champion for a little mm -hmm. while, but I mean every time he shows up on a main event or on a pay per view, people kind of remember this guy has real face of the company energy. Um, they I'll, I'll go ahead and skip ahead to this. They did announce later on in the show that the charity that will be receiving the money is the Chicago Public Education Fund. Nice. Which uh, I I don't know how much influence Hangman actually had over that, or whether it was just like. Tony Khan telling him like, "Hey, you'll win. Here's where it's going." But uh, he actually was a, a school, te a high school teacher before he got into wrestling. He taught journalism at uh, some school in Virginia and has kind of 
talked about when he realized his students had found videos of him working like indie shows on the weekends <laughs> and just trying to like teach graphic design class after that. But yeah, so um, good battle royal. Again, not a lot to it. Just nice energy, warm up the crowd. Uh, I gave it. I gave it three. Very good. Yeah. So next up uh, on the pre-show, we have a six-woman tag team match between Hikaru Shida, Sky Blue, and Willow Nightingale against Mercedes Martinez, Diamante, and Ring of Honor champion Athena, accompanied by Billy Starks. Um, also a fun match. Um, I, I'm trying to remind myself that for all that we talk about AEW needing to do a better job by their women's roster, this is mm-hmm. what that's going to look some, like sometimes, is right. just having another match on there. More build-up would have been nice, but that's going to be kind of a consistent theme through a lot of this card. Mm-hmm. I honestly, the one thing that sticks out to me is uh, Diamante has the, one of the best names possible. Oh, yeah. It's just like, that's a Bond villain name, and you need to work that for all you can. Oh, she's awesome. Yeah, I remember uh, she, I feel like her last real big story was, um, I think she and Ivelisse were finalists in that uh, women's tag tournament they had mm-hmm. like two years ago. Um, yeah, that was a while back, but yeah, no, it's. This, these were six women I would like to see more of at the very least. I know Athena and uh, Martinez have been doing a lot in Ring of Honor, and I think... Uh, well, I know Sky Blue is out there because she is also a Chicagoan. Yeah, so she came out wearing, uh, you know, blue gear with red stars, and I feel like certain people uh, look to that as a statement about punk. Well, they can think that and be dumb because it's just, it's the Chicago <laughs> yeah, it's, flag. Yeah, it's the it's, city's flag, and she's the hometown. And that punk face. co-opted into his ring yeah. gear, too. But yeah, no. Um, I, I I like Sky a lot. I like Willow. I think um, I think Sky needs a little more seasoning. Um, the the go home on this match was a little bit rough, but mm-hmm. uh, like Sheeta's just a, a rock of the women's division, and Willow Nightingale is just a delight. I, I just mm-hmm. love uh, seeing her. I also love that despite her thing being like, oh, she's the happy, smiley baby face. She's still presented as a physical force. There was a great spot where. Uh, Sky tags in Willow. She comes out, and Athena looks at her and immediately tries to go back to her corner. Oh, yeah, 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 because they, they've been building the fact that, like, Willow's been giving Athena her just desserts. Yeah, and Diamante and Mercedes both drop off the apron because they don't want to get tagged in for this either. That's one thing I like about AEW. It's like it's it's they've, they they show off the fact that, oh, oh uh, Willow got, was NJPW Women's Strong Champion, and it's not a fluke. yeah. That it's like, all right, well, you've you've been a champion, so we're gonna like keep pushing you at this level now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, a uh, solid match again. It's a fairly quick match, about eight and a half minutes. Um, ends with uh, Sky Blue again. She's the hometown face. Uh, she hits her finisher, which is kind of a modified uh, Canadian destroyer called the Code Blue on Diamante. Okay, it's a it's a cool looking move. The problem is it basically involves her um, rolling into position on their back and then them rotating ninety degrees for the actual execution. And sometimes that works well when the opponent is bigger than her and can kind of manage that turn more easily. Diamante's on the smaller side, so right. it ended up being a little bit more of a like a roll over her. Mm. Um, but, you know, again, hometown girl gets the pin, uh, crowd goes crazy. And, again, we're, we're doing a nice job of kind of warming up the crowd. I, I gave it two and three quarters, yeah. but g- good to see these ladies on the show and, you know, <clears throat> hope to see more of them on Dynamite and Rampage and whatnot going forward. See. Oh, um, but before we get to the next match, th- did you see the uh, the video after this for LFI? Oh, I think I, f- I think I missed it. I think I forgot. So they do. Uh, they've been doing kind of a series of vignettes. I think mostly on social media 
um, where Preston Vance and Dralistico, who were affiliated with with uh, Roosh for a while, mm-hmm. um, are getting like abducted and taken to like back halls where they're getting basically the crap beaten out of them until they like fight their way free. Um, and Roosh has revealed oh, that this wait, is wait, his wait. way of yeah. I didn't see all of this, but I just I saw some of this. Yeah, so it's like he takes them into his his mansion. He's up on the second level, and he's explaining how he's done what he did to make them the faction they need to be to take over AEW. Right, right. And I I would love to see that happen because I think Roosh has been just kind of quietly turning out great matches mm-hmm. when they let him on TV. And um, honestly, if Andrade wants to get involved in that again, it seems like he's been doing pretty well on Rampage too, or on a Collision too. So, yeah, uh, the Faction and Gobernable may be a bigger part going forward. Mainly, I just liked it because it, it uh, threw back to Lucha Underground mm-hmm. a lot and just those sort of, like, soapy, like, hey, here's a free recording. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, from what I saw, it was like it was all in Spanish and it had a very telenovela vibe. To yeah, it. just like, hey, here's a, a, sh- a, a fight scene we shot in, like, a, a leaky basement somewhere. <laughs> just people getting their heads thrown into brick walls. But, yeah, I mean, just the heat that Preston Vance got when he made that, he tore his mask off and made that little 10-year-old kid cry. I'm like, you, you can't just leave that on the vine forever. All right, so let's see. Third and final match of the pre-show, uh, moving through this one, is the uh, six-man tag match for the AEW World Trios Championship. That's right. Yep, it is the acclaimed and Billy Gunn, Daddy Ass, against Jeff Jarrett, Satnam Singh, and Jay Lethal. But uh, they are not coming out alone. The acclaimed and Billy Gunn are joined by none other than Dennis Rodman. Which uh, Jarrett and company offset by having a Chicago Bulls entrance. Yeah, and <laughs> I think Sanjay Dutt had like an Isaiah Thomas jersey. No, that yeah. might have been a collision, but... May, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. It, it, th- that was... I'm not loving everything to do with Jeff Jarrett because I feel like a lot of his segments tend to just sort of feel like throwbacks to like early 90s WCW. Um, well, and TNA. Yeah, he had a he had a Texas Chainsaw Massacre match. Well, that, that wasn't Hardy. his idea. That it was, wasn't. But I, I saw the pics of him having won it. <laughs> yeah, that that still just remains something <laughs> that I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, the acclaim come out, they get, they get a good pop. I have to imagine that before the show, uh, Tony Khan took Max Caster aside and like you know led him to a little corner of the of the arena, and was like, "You see this guy? This is Steve. Steve is a Green Beret sniper with 25 confirmed kills. He will be in the rafters with a bead on your forehead if you and if you go one line off script from your rap, buddy. Pat, pat, pat." Just something to think about. I'm pretty sure he knew how important that was. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a, a fairly tame entrance by the acclaimed, uh, yeah. but uh, I think the saltiest it got was calling uh, Dennis Rodman and Kim Jong Un friends, which I think both men would be pretty happy to own up to. So they yeah. do often. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a not really much to say in this match. I honestly don't remember very much of the wrestling. I don't think you're meant to. I think it's just just yeah. fun. <laughs> They, uh, at one point, Billy Gunn uh, calls Aubrey Edwards out to referee the match yeah, specifically. Yeah, I have my own ref. Yeah, because she and Karen have feuded. Yep. Um, Aubrey comes running out, and uh, in a nice nice touch, she normally you know has a very tight bun or ponytail, and here her hair's loose because, ah, oh, crap, they just called her out. She wasn't <laughs> done getting ready, and she just looks like that for the rest of the evening. Um well, that was uh, that was how they uh, they was that was the the initial setup for the later guitar spot. Oh, the guitar spot. <laughs> 
I, I, I'm never going to stop being amused. How, how long did Aubrey have to pretend like she couldn't tell what was happening behind e- her? Even by the standards of, like, the obliviousness of wrestling referees, her hearing a crash, turning around, seeing Dennis Rodman <laughs> holding the broken remnants of a guitar while Jay Lethal lays on the ground surrounded by wood fragments and just have to be like, hmm. I'm going to put that on Rodman because Rodman was just taking, he was milking it just yeah. so hard. <laughs> And Aubrey just had to be out there telling... I think she was, like, throwing uh, Karen Jarrett to the back or something. She, well, yeah, yeah. No, they, they were fighting because she, she spotted Karen coming in with the guitar. And so she wrestled right. it from her and tossed her out. <laughs> and just had to be like, yeah, you keep going. She was, you keep going. Well, no, I don't think Karen had left She was because Aubrey was between the ropes yelling at her. Yeah. And, and eventually she turned around and saw it and had to be like, what happened? <laughs> But yeah, this just felt like sort of an excuse to get the acclaimed out there. Oh, it was and, just a match full of hijinks, yeah. Yeah, and a place to fit in Rodman and the other and just, you know, get a few more, like, good Chicago pops before the, the show oh, yeah, proper yeah. starts. So I, I gave it two and a half. Yeah, it's not me hating it. It just was sort of like, it had a function. The function just was not really to be a wrestling match. And that's fine. Yeah. I mean, they look, here's the thing. They, like, this, this is... Honestly, th- this is a, just a victory lap for the most part, for for all in success. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, I, l- I look over the list of the rest of the matches on this card, and I'm like, there is not a whole lot going forward that involves what you would comfortably call like more comic wrestling. So, right. like, you know what, crowd, get get your laughs while you can, and then oh, they made their own. They did <laughs> find their own places to put them, which oh, we'll get to. All right, so the card proper kicks off. Uh, opening match, uh, AEW world champion Maxwell Jacob Friedman is not defending his world title in this card. Nope. Instead, he and his tag team partner, Adam Cole. And best friend. And best friend. Suck it, Roderick Strong. <laughs> the team of better than you, baby, are defending he their can't. titles. His neck is hurt. <laughs> oh, his neck is hurt, but not nearly as much as his heart. No. Uh, defending against the Dark Order, Alex Reynolds and John Silver, accompanied by Evil Uno. Which they pointed out, Alex Reynolds was one of the people who trained Max yeah. MJF. And that was honestly a nice... It also, just... I don't know if it's a function of MJF being younger than I remember he is, or Alex Reynolds being older than I realize he is, mm-hmm. or maybe just there aren't that many... Uh, the spray tan yes. adds a few years. Yeah, there is that, <laughs> but... Yeah, they. It was just good to see the Dark Order back in a spot like mm-hmm. this because they're those guys are a really good tag team, and I feel like they. Uh, and they've been doing a lot of work on ROH. Yeah. Apparently. Well, because I think Stu Grayson wound up over there as well, so yeah. I feel like they've been working around that. But, um, yeah, it's nice to see the Dark Order getting to be proper heels again because after they're working back into it. Yeah. After Brody Lee passed, there was just sort of this understanding like you, you guys are the most sympathetic figures in the company right yeah, now. Yeah. But after uh, Hangman left and they got hurt about that, it's gotten a little darker. And I'll tell you what I really loved about this is I, I still have a hard time forming the words MJF is a babyface and having it feel real. But this was a great match to show him as uh, doing his gimmick of I'm a scumbag, but I'm your scumbag to mm-hmm. the fans versus the Dark Order who are acting more like proper wrestling heels. Yeah, yeah. Like the sportsmanship chant. Oh my gosh, that was so great. So yeah, he and uh, Alex Reynolds get out there, and MJF, instead of engaging, just goes, sportsmanship, to one side of the arena, and then to the other side, sportsmanship, sportsmanship, and just gets everybody going. And so when he sticks his hand out, well, Alex Reynolds does not have any choice but to grudgingly shake his hand and immediately get his eyes raked by yep. MJF. 
And he doesn't even follow up on that. He just does it just to be a little, kind of a douche. Yep. <laughs> and uh, it's later on in the match, but also the spot where um, I think Silver gets knocked off the turnbuckle and uh, Alex Reynolds gets thrown off and he's wobbling and they're about to do the spot where uh, he's going to fall and land and uh, hit Silver in the crotch. And he's wobbling and wobbling and trying to stay on his feet while MJF watches and he barely keeps it together. Then MJF just flips him off and pushes him over into it anyway. <laughs> but yeah, you've got that. And then uh, compared to that, you've got the Dark Order doing the more traditional, like actually like hitting people with chairs mm-hmm. outside the ring. Uno, you know, taking his shots. Oh, evil Uno. Those are, um, we'll get to it a little bit later, but at one point uh, he, uh, I think, yeah, he hands the tag belt to uh, Reynolds and tries to have him hold it up so uh, Silver can whip him into it. And, like, yeah, it's just, again... The, the way they've managed to keep MJF still recognizably the same character while mm-hmm. also just letting him be that way in a way that the crowds can cheer for. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's And then they get, I mean, then he gets the a proper babyface moment as yes. well because in the match he gets, or he, 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 I forget what he does, he hurts his neck. So, yeah, uh, he gets hit with a chair to the back uh, on the outside from there Reynolds, go, yeah. and then when he tries to set up the double clothesline, Silver hits him from behind. And yeah. when he gets up from that, he's, like, holding he's, his neck. He's, and he, he's, he's shouting about his neck, and he's yeah. basically saying, I don't know if I can keep going. And so help comes out, and uh, Adam Cole gets ends up getting left alone uh, against the bo- both of the Dark Order. Yeah, and he's doing his best, but there's two of them. They're a really good tag team. They're wearing him down. And then the crowd starts chanting MJF. MJF. Well, before that, they do, don't they do a double clothesline on him? Yeah, so they do hit Cole with a double clothesline, which he kicks out of. <laughs> they do. They even do it. They even do the setup, just like MJF and, and yeah, Adam the, Cole the do. And the, yeah, and I think the crowd starts chanting for Cole at one point. Single clothesline. Yes, they single do. Single clothesline. Because, and, which is just a hint of where this crowd is going to go as the <laughs> as the night goes on. Um, but yeah, so as Cole's finally getting worn down, he can't hold him off on his own any longer. Who should appear at the top of the ramp but Maxwell Jacob Friedman? He's holding his neck, and he is just power-walking his way back down there. And medics are trying to stop him, tell him you can't go back down there, Max. him off. He stomps up the steps, and he gets his hand out for the tag. And Cole hits it, and the crowd goes crazy as MJF hot tags in, and... Um, and the great, the great part is that like he sells it as an adrenaline thing. Like yeah. he'll do like a sequence of moves and then take a breather and then hold his neck because mm-hmm. he's still having. Yeah, to whenever he's pain. not actively doing something, his hand is back to his neck. Oh, I was gonna say wh- before he comes back out, Evil Uno's spot is when uh, after Cole takes a particularly bad hit, Uno goes to his corner and like reaches out his hand, like what? You want to <laughs> tag me? You want to tag me? Which ah, uh, that's that's good heel stuff. Oh, it really is. And, um, and oh, uh, MJF has another another great move where he he grabs uh, Silver and Reynolds double eye poke head bonk. Yes, <laughs> pure Abbott and Costello stuff. Yeah, um, and yeah, it just they and it just they they rally and then they eventually they get the double clothesline off. Yeah, he, he also gets the kangaroo. He hits kick. the kangaroo kick, which is not just a thing he did for Aussie Open. That's apparently just <laughs> going to be part of his repertoire going forward. Um, but yeah, they hit the double clothesline. Cole takes out Evil Uno with a super kick. And MJF pins Alex Reynolds to retain the Ring of Honor tag titles. Uh, And that was it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, he's really badly hurt, obviously. He he collapses on the apron and medical's checking him out because he really pushed through. Yeah, they're going to head to the back. Uh, What I really liked is after months and months of the build for this, any time Cole would touch the the AEW title, he would have this moment where he thought about not giving it back or using it as a weapon. And here, as MJF's getting helped up, Cole's holding both tag belts and the world title, and it's not even played at all. Like, Mm -hmm. they're they're not trying to overdo the, oh, they could turn at any second. 
bit. I, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure it could build back to back up to that again. But they're in like the the they've they've hit like the post that post uh, like uh, uh, story little little honeymoon where yeah. they're they're still like things are a okay again. Yeah. And so as they're going up the ramp together, MJF... Uh, Samoa Joe has had enough waiting. Yeah, because his music hits when they are halfway back up the ramp. He comes walking out straight down the middle. And if the world champion is even slightly in his way, well, Joe is just going to smirk and throw out a straight arm and, and shove MJF out of his way. In, in, an, in an Easter egg to an yes. incident that happened well before AEW existed. I think it was like an NXT takeover way back when. Yeah. Yeah, Joe's just walking down a hallway, and one of the yellow-shirted security guys is a very young MJF who was just there to get shoved into a wall by Joe, who had he got, places yeah, to be. He was walking too cl- He was like walking too he was matching up with Joe and walking with him instead of near him, and he gets shoved back. And as MJF would later say on Twitter, I'm not that little kid you shoved in Brooklyn, because he goes charging down to the ring, neck yeah. injury be damned, <laughs> yes, he does. and tries to attack Joe in the gets ring. Into, and, 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 and it's like, and Adam, and Adam Cole hangs back, because I guess he doesn't want to get involved, but yeah. um, he's, he's waving for people to come out. And it gets more frantic as uh, Joe slaps on the Coquina Clutch, which is a powerful neck submission. Yes, not something you want to do if you've just twinged your neck in a match. I can't help thinking if also there might be some continuity to the fact that uh, I think the last time they feuded in NXT, Joe choked out Cole pretty badly. I mean, hmm. He was doing his last run as kind of the enforcer for GM That's right, Regal. that's right, yeah. Um, but yeah, so eventually security separates everybody and MJF walks to the back, although this time he is holding his belts and reminding everyone that he is not going to be disrespected this time. It's like, uh, yeah, it's a very successful setup for future ideas. And a part of me feels like this has to be at least a little bit because um, the one thing everybody agrees about from All In as to what happened backstage is that when that went down, Joe was there because he and Punk were about to go out for the first and match. And he broke it up. Yeah. And he, he handled business. Like, yeah. he separated people. He apparently told Jack just to, like, get out of there right now. Um, like, I don't know if he, like, grabbed Punk and did, like, the airplane slaps to make him get a hold of himself. But basically, nobody was even sure the match could happen at all, let alone that it could happen in the next three minutes. Essentially, yeah, Joe got Punk out. Like, yeah. said, like basically, he was like, I'm going out for the match. You better be out there, too. Yeah, so just seems like... Whether this is planned already, but I, I find it pretty believable that, yeah, this is kind of like a, you, you did very well, uh, why don't you take a, a run at the world title next? Cause, why not, yeah. Yeah, he and MJF could have that. And honestly, that's a good, uh, to keep up the thing of MJF still being kind of a heel, but facing worse heels. Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah, they could do a lot there. So, yeah, uh, before we move on, I'm just going to say that, I, yeah, uh, Better Than You, Bebe versus The Dark Order, I gave it, uh, you know what, I gave it four and a half. Just nice. great story. I love seeing MJF embrace these classic babyface tropes so unironically because... it's You know what it is? It feels like the, um, people talk about it all the time. I, I you know, I, I think I've done it to some extent. Other people have done it. <clears throat> when people, like, see something so corny or dumb and they're like... And they start incorporating it ironically, like words, like you think a phrase is stupid, so you start saying it to just as a kind of like, uh, it's a joke, and then you realize at some point, oh no, I've just been saying it. <laughs> there's, a great, uh, there's a great novel by a writer named Ben Croshaw about a, a, a post-apocalyptic world, and it's a, it's a dumb apocalypse, it's like a carnivorous jam spreads out over a city. Yes, yes. But there's a group of survivors in a shopping mall, and they're like a, a death cult. 
but they're mm-hmm. doing it like they're they're being ironic about it like they, they get it's like we know obviously this is what people do in movies we're not we realize what it's like and the protagonist points out but but you're actually killing people and they're like well no but it's ironic but they're still dead and yeah, MJF's kind of doing the reverse of that, going into into being a babyface, and yeah, it's like he's he's, he's kind of, he's like, ah, all right, I'll be a good guy, I'll be all right. Oh no, I'm actually doing it. I'm getting into it. Friendship is making my heart grow three sizes. And the best part I kept is quoting the Grinch during all that, going, I'm feeling. <laughs> and the best part is that you know, whenever they decide that they want to have him be a heel again, yeah. if they do, then he just goes right back and is like, ha ha, oh, yeah. you chumps. No, one hundred percent. So. But they, they could honestly keep this going for a while. I, mm-hmm. I don't think anybody expected him and Cole to have the legs that they have as a as a face act, but sometimes you just get that chemistry. It's super good, yeah. So the only downside to that match and the follow-up segment, which is great, is that I do feel like Joe and Shane Taylor's match feels like a little bit of an afterthought from there. A little bit, but I was I mean, it was surprisingly good for a Big for two big guys going after each other. It like was really brawling. Good. Like, yeah, and they're both the same kind of big, which is sort of yeah. like they're not particularly cut, but they're strong. They're both capable of doing like quick bursts of like jumps or it's, fast strikes. It's the kind of big where it's like you, it's it's a working man big. Yeah. Versus a, a power like a like a power lifter big. Yeah, and just there are a lot of scenes where or sequences that were just them sort of squaring up and trading like jabs mm-hmm. and body shots, and both of them made those look really good. Yeah, and it speaks, I mean, especially Samoa Joe, that, like, he's always been great in a situation where it's like, do you need a a technical finesse? Do you need to just hit somebody? And he looks great doing both. He really does. And just, honestly, he's 44 years old. And, I mean, during his last run in WWE, people were kind of like, ah, Joe, he he had a good run, but he's kind of, you can tell he's slowing down. I don't know if he just found a second wind or has just really nicely modified his style, but he is just still and looking Vince good And Vince has a ever. habit of doing that with wrestlers, too, trying to put them out to pasture before they're ready to go. Yeah. He, did, he tried doing it to Macho. He tried doing it to Piper. You know, and then they left and they went, no, I still got stuff in me. He may have done it to Adam Copeland. We'll see about that. Um, but, yeah, good, good match. Uh the uh, there's a really nice segment that I liked where uh, Joe gets a sleeper hold on Shane Taylor reaching over the ropes. Yeah, oh, and I forgot to mention this is Joe defending his Ring of Honor Television Championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's this, his title's on the line, uh, but he's trying to lock the sleeper hold in over the ropes while he's on the apron. Uh, Taylor powers forward and basically like hauls Joe bodily over the top while still holding uh, keeping the sleeper hold in, and then just drops into a stunner. Joe's head hits his shoulder and he just goes limp and rolls off him. It's a it's a mm. great sell. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of I remember somebody showed me a video once of uh, Bret Hart versus Stone Cold, and they talk about how The Rock had kind of the iconic sell of a Stone Cold stunner where he hits it and he just pogo sticks off. Right. And right. somebody showed the clip of Bret Hart doing it and he just looks like he's been knocked out. Like he just hits yeah, him and it, just slumps. It, it's yeah, and it's believable, unlike say Vince who just couldn't take it for shit. Yeah. <laughs> But it's like, yeah. No, and Vince could are, never get the hang of those. Those are two great cells in, in different ways. It's like you have the, I want you to see how explosive this move is versus I want you to see how terribly, how terribly this move can hurt somebody. Yeah. And honestly, for a match that was really focused around, you know, yeah. punches that look like they hurt and, you know, kicks and just people looking like their bodies just getting worn down by a series of small, hard impacts. That was the, the good sell for it. Well, yeah, it is, especially because it's like the the rock type sell is like good for a big pop. The the that kind of sell, when you see someone just go limp all of a sudden, it's like, oh god, 
Uh, is he getting back up? Yeah, so uh, match ends with uh, kind of an abrupt go home, but again, it, it fits in the sequence of the oh, match. Right, yeah. uh, Shane's trying to hit him with like some chops and some body shots, and then Joe suddenly just grabs him and hits him like with four or five knees just to the midsection and face, and just puts him like a Kena clutch and yep. gets him back down. And, and that's enough, yeah. yeah. He has to tap. So, uh, quick match, uh, six minutes, 25 seconds. Uh, I gave it three and a quarter. Fair enough. Yeah, uh, just good match, went fast. Overshadowed, like I said, a little bit by the story beforehand and the fact that there's another big man match on the card I, I think later. That, I think they, they kind of had an idea going into it. It's like, yeah, that's going to be explosive. That's going to be... Uh, this one will reel it back in a bit. Yeah. And they had a, they had a match coming up. They knew also was going to get everybody fired up mm-hmm. because next we come to the AEW TNT Championship. Oh yes, defended by Luchasaurus, accompanied by the father of the year, Christian Cage. The the actual TNT champion. <laughs> if you listen to him. Oh my gosh, his his whole thing with that like his his promo against Darby Allen while he's holding the TNT title. Yeah. The difference between you and me, Darby, is that I would never pretend to be something I'm not. Yep. Oh man. And that is his He's opponent. He's so good at, yeah. at, at, at that. The sheer, the sheer commitment. When he, when the, he went to the press event afterwards, his first the question sitting down. Unabashed hypocrisy, yeah. How's everybody's dad doing? <laughs> He's really leaned into that meme. It, just, it was like just the logical thing he could do with Jack Perry, and it became, even before he'd finished that feud, it became his defining it, thing. It was part of the video package yeah. where they showed him, it was like, I understand you, it was, like, it was, uh, it was Darby Allen's protege. It was like, I understand you don't have a father. <laughs> Uh, some, somebody said, if Cody Rhodes ever comes back to AEW and he and Christian need to have a program, that's just... <laughs> I think somebody said, like, your dad used to talk about hard times. He talked about how wrestling was a family business. Well, your dad's not part of the family anymore, Cody, and his hard times are being dead. <laughs> uh, it, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, uh, an, an important part of his gimmick now is finding as many ways as possible to say your dad is dead. <laughs> And just his turtleneck gets a little higher every time. He wore a white one this time. He did. Because <laughs> he's in that rare form. So, yeah, Luchasaurus, the actual on-paper <laughs> TNT champion, uh, against Darby Allen, who is accompanied by Nick Wayne. Um, he's the pinch champion. He gets in and does all the work. Really does. Like, Christian behaves as the TNT champion at all times, except when it actually has to be defended. Right, right. It's in, and this is interesting because they've never really gone depth about like what kind of weird hold or mind control he seems to be exerting yeah. over Luchasaurus. Is there like a like a sacred conch shell that he's blown in? Don't or? know. Yeah. It's gonna be interesting to, when they get to the point where they're like, okay, it's time to to break this away. Yeah, and again, that's something they can do any time. Oh but yeah, it's yeah. it's so much fun right now. I. I hope they've got oh, at yeah, least no. another cycle in it. There's no need to end it now. I'm just, it's just, it'll be interesting to see how they keep going with that. It's also nice because Luchasaurus is not a great Mike guy, and AEW no, no, no. does not have a lot of like big silent monster figures. Yeah. So seeing a match like this where he just gets to like throw Darby around the ring and just be this force of savage destruction, it's fun to see. Just that it's a good spot for him. He knows what to do. He's had a Marco stun around him before. <laughs> A lot, a lot of uh, suppressed uh, anger towards that kid coming out. <laughs> the um, there's a point where I think Darby tries to, yeah, it's off the turnbuckle. He tries to do it's not a coffin drop; it's just like a diving tackle, and he just literally bounces off Luchasaurus's yes. chest. Like, <laughs> yes, he, he does. He doesn't even step back. He just sort of squares his shoulders, and Darby just ricochets in a different <laughs> direction. <laughs> he knows he's at least as tough as that coffin, Wait, and the, the 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 one they used last <laughs> week. <laughs> Which Darby has said that may, his back is still hurting a little bit from that, which 
understandable. Uh, he uh, had tape around his ribs, which at some point Luchasaurus rips off and chokes him with. Yes. In a, in a, yes. Just a great professional wrestling spot. Um, it was just a great match where, like, Christian's where he needs to be, just the, like, sleazy manager on the outside. Luchasaurus is the unstoppable force of destruction. Oh, and Darby yeah. is just the guy who's still throwing himself at that over and over again <laughs> and absorbing inhuman amounts of punishment. That, oh, man. The bit with the stairs? Like, yes, that's right. Yes, he puts the stairs on Darby and then climbs up them. So that felt like a Zucker, Abrams, a Zucker Abrams Zucker spot where you just have like this escalating comedy. Because at first, uh, Luchasaurus that's a, just... That's a gag in the background of some th- right. other things going on. It's like yeah. a rule of three comedy spot where first he throws Darby into the stairs. And then he grabs him by the head and slams his skull into the stairs. And then while Darby's on the ground, Luchasaurus picks the stairs up, sets them on top of Darby, and walks up the stairs slowly <laughs> one step at a time and gets back in the ring. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, you okay? No, no, nowhere else it to is, go with it. That. Is wrestling is this is the stuff in wrestling I live for? It's just, oh man, the absolute violence that is. It's also Looney Tunes in itself. <laughs> oh man, I'm trying to think if there's any other because uh, again, really, most of it is just Luchasaurus slinging Darby around the ring. <laughs> And every time Darby starts to get a little momentum, he just no. yeah he just gets shut down and hurt more. Um, at one point, uh, Christian comes up to Nick Wayne with a towel. I think it's uh, oh he tells him to throw it in. Right? Yeah, because Luchasaurus has Darby in a like a torture rack position on his shoulders, uh, but Nick refuses to do it. And I'll be honest, part of me thought we were going to see a heel turn from Nick Wayne because they laid a little bit of groundwork with that. Yeah. Uh, with Darby forgiving A.R. Fox, even though it's, Fox it's unfortunately and... a, a regular kind of thing in AEW where proteges tended to betray them. Yeah, that's a... <laughs> their mentors. What's the line from the last? Except Jedi? for the time that the mentor betrayed the protege, like Christian did. Yeah, that's why he got ahead of it all. <laughs> he saw what was going on. Yeah. So uh, Darby gets a near fall towards the end of the match when he gets a he actually hits a Canadian destroyer on Luchasaurus off the top turnbuckle, which looked really awesome. Um... Again, for a, for a big guy, Luchasaurus can he, he got that he over move, incredibly. Yes. Uh, Darby goes up for a coffin drop, but while uh, he's up there, he sees Christian hit Nick Wayne in the back with a chair and That's set right. him up for the concerto. He's got to make the choice. And before he can, Luchasaurus hits him from behind, and he just wishbones down on top of the uh, the ring, uh, the buckle. Like, like Christian is looking up at him, going, "If you try, if you do it, I will concerto yeah. him." <laughs> you think you can do that before I do this? Come on, <laughs> punk. And so after after he hits Darby, it's, I mean not Punk, not no. <laughs> get him out of here. Who saw that? Um, so after Luchasaurus takes Darby off the rope, he basically does like uh, like Hulk does to Loki in the Avengers movie. He just grabs him, hits him with two tombstones, and then a rear lariat <laughs> into the turnbuckle. Just not even like a I'm gonna do one move and pin you. I'm gonna do a move. I'm gonna do a move. I'm gonna hit you again, and then I'm gonna pin you. And the only thing that doesn't quite work is because there's such a radical height difference between Luchasaurus and Darby. The, the clearance between Darby's head and the mat on those tombstones is uh-huh. really apparent. And there's not really a way to avoid that when like a, a six foot eight guy is doing it on like a five foot six guy. Not, not really. It's, I mean, but at least, you know, he's well protected. Yeah. Yeah, his spine needs all the protection. At least you know Luchasaurus is protecting him because you know Darby's not going to protect himself. (laughs) I can imagine him trying to like shimmy down a little further and Luchasaurus having to hold him in place. No, no. But so yeah, uh, Luchasaurus wins, retains his TNT championship, and uh, Christian isn't done yet. (laughs) 
because immediately he, he, never is. he charges into the ring, uh, slides the chair under Darby's head and sets up for a concerto, and uh, Luchasaurus is holding Nick, Nick Wayne to make him watch. But there's uh, one thing that Christian hasn't counted on, which is that there are apparently members of the locker room in AEW who also have fathers, and they come rushing yeah, out. Yeah, that was, that, was that was a nice, that was an interesting touch. It was yeah. like, just part of the locker room empties out, and it's just like, <laughs> stop it. This guy is just such a jerk. Stop him. Uh, yeah, and so yeah, they, uh, they retreat to the back. And... I can't wait to hear him call them all fatherless. <laughs> He's just forming a spreadsheet now. <laughs> He's gonna, it's, it's, it's Christian versus the Dead Dead Club. It's just... uh, yeah, but that, that was just a, a fun match. Um, just, again, great for what Luchasaurus and Darby and, uh, and Christian all need to be. Uh, it, it is, like, again, it's like, it's like re- wrestling can be all about the mighty struggle between two people. It can also be insanely silly, and then it can be a nice mesh of the two, which yeah. is this. The silly people doing seriously horrible things to yeah, each other. Yeah, it's incredible. And uh, like I said, we'll we'll get to that even more as we go on. But I gave that one a four and a quarter. Just really enjoyed it. Um, only other noteworthy thing I wanted to mention is that after the uh, event, Christian was taking questions at the media event. He was wearing the TNT belt. And somebody asked him if uh, Adam Copeland, who uh, is apparently finishing up his current contract with, a- or with WWE this month, might be coming to uh, AEW. And Christian's response. Again, he could. there were a lot of things he could have said to this, but I think he picked the best answer, which was... I only talk about myself, Pete, and Luchasaurus, and I have no friends other than Luchasaurus. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> and it's just like, chef's kiss. Thank you, Christian. You didn't have to give us that on the way out, but you did. It's amazing. Yeah. All right, so next up, we have um, a match that I was already looking forward to as a match between two guys I really like and I, who I haven't, who haven't really had a chance to shine recently. I was not prepared for the meat stravaganza. <laughs> it's time for that match. All right. It's one of those moments where I'm thinking something as I watch it, and yeah. Gene and I are watching it, and we're making the joke, and then we realize the crowd, like 10,000 people in this stadium, are there ahead of us. What's incredible is, is like, there's a reference to what the I don't. I think it was before the crowd started chanting it. Yeah, Excalibur drops the, the big E line. Yeah, and then the crowd... <laughs> Which they can't hear the commentary, no, so they just got no. there on their own. They but. did. So I, uh, so a, a little bit uh, behind the scenes for me when I was watching this is like I, I enjoy I enjoy watching the pay per views and everything, but I, I don't I don't really focus unless it's like I'm with everybody sitting around watching it at the same time. Right. So I'm playing a game while while I'm playing it, you know, to keep my attention. And this match starts going, and I'm kind of paying attention. I, I am paying attention. But then the chance started, and I had to pause, and I just kind of went, okay, what's happening here? <laughs> it, it gets you in like that. So uh, to go back to what the match actually is, it is Miro versus Powerhouse Hobbs uh, in just a singles grudge match. No title on the line, no yep. gimmick. These two guys have just wanted to get their hands on each other. And it is, as Excalibur uh, said, quoting the great Biggie Langston, Two big meaty men slapping meats. It is. It is a hundred percent that. I spent a lot of time today thinking how much of a big E impression I could I could do and get away with without a uh, long walk talks getting any angry letters. <laughs> but yeah, so um, I, I love Miro. I think he's been great in AEW, and I I was I understood why he apparently after he recovered from an arm injury decided he was going to 
stay until he had a there was a creative pitch that he really felt like he connected with. That's fair. That's fair. Um, and it seemed like collision. I, I see. I understand that too because like coming off an injury, it's like I could potentially go right back in and injure myself again. I would like for there to be a good reason for me to want to hit that. You know. To be yeah. in that position. Yeah, and uh, coming back, he is, uh, the Redeemer has forsaken his God because his God has forsaken him. So uh, he has nothing to lose and is just coming out to crush people. Hobbes is going to write the next chapter of the book of Hobbes. Um, you got to hate those lovers, Batson. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, they settled it, I think, in the healthiest way they could. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it really is just they're, they're two huge, powerful guys and like the match starts with them just doing your basic collar and elbow collar and elbow tie up and trying to like power the other guy down oh, yeah. and that's one of the most basic things but you really don't see it that much especially not in AEW where that isn't the style of wrestling for most of their top guys and again at first it's just great like they're you know uh, there's some uh, throws a bit of grappling a couple of chops and then the crowd starts to just kind of get into it they do um, it starts as, I think, Mira's on the outside, and he's coming back up the stairs, and the, somebody just starts chanting, slap that meat, slap that meat, which they do. They get into the ring, and they start trading forearms, just, you know, throwing their, their shots at each other. Meat, 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 The whole meat. arena just chanting meat. This is not like two guys at ringside. <laughs> this is the whole place lighting up. I, a Sunday night, I'm looking on Twitter, and I see, I see several people going, the entire arena is chanting meat right now. Uh, they do the spot where, like, they after the forearm trade, Miro winds up back for the big one, and the crowd just goes, oh, meat, <laughs> right as he hits him. Uh, he does the, the belt, the, uh, was it the, uh, the belfry spot that Seamus does, where he gets uh, Hobbs over the yeah. ropes and just lays into his chest, and just 11 times in a row, meat, 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 meat. 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 Uh, he wrestles Hobbs up onto the turnbuckle, goes for a superplex. This is meat. Clap, 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 clap. This is meat. They find, they get down to the ring, and uh, later on, the crowd is chanting, Meet forever! Yes. <laughs> Meet forever! Uh, that, Miro, was, that was the crescendo. It was <laughs> Miro gets Hobbs in the game over, and Hobbs manages to power out by getting his feet under him. Holy meat! Holy meat! Again, I don't want to sound like there wasn't an excellent match going on, because there absolutely was, and the fact that both men started playing into this is a big part of the reason why. But yeah. Oh my gosh, this is why I love live wrestling. <laughs> I, I gotta imagine it was sincerely, it's sincerely hard for either Miro or Hobbs to just not start laughing. Hobbs did look a little bit like he wasn't <laughs> quite sure. He's like, uh, okay, I'll, I'll go with this. Uh, but Miro just like looked even harder and more Bulgarian than ever. So <laughs> That's a sign you're not trying not to laugh. Unless you're legitimately pissed, when you look that determined, you're just like, if I make any other facial expression, I'm just going to be laughing. But yeah, I had to talk myself down from giving this one a five, because I wanted to just because it was so much fun to watch. I mean, on the meat scale, it's easily a oh, six. And the crowd was loving it. It wasn't quite at that level, if I'm, if I'm stepping back and being honest, but oh my gosh, it was so much fun. And both guys just really got to show their stuff. Like, yeah. There was a great little bit where Hobbs... Um, he does uh, a belly-to-belly -belly on Miro, and he makes it look like he's, you know, suplexing a really huge guy. Like, it's a struggle. He can barely get him over. And then he does a fisherman suplex a second later like he weighs nothing. And it's just this nice moment of, like, okay, now he's picking up his rhythm, and right, now he's right. really... It also could have been the first one was just, like, a bad lift or something. But, you know, I, I, I'll go with the story that I see. But, uh, yeah, just such, such a fun match to watch and just... 
seeing the crowd just engage with that. Oh, man. Sadly, they cannot meet forever. All good meets must come to an end. And uh, at the end of it, uh, Hobbs tries to put Miro in his own game over submission, just that sort of like mm-hmm. over-the-back cross face. Um, uh, Miro manages to get out and hit Hobbs with his spinebuster, and then uh, stomps the back, locks in the game over, and Hobbs has no choice but to tap out. So great match Miro wins and the crowd is just giving him a huge ovation oh yeah and Hobbs you know he, he's not immune to this he's been kind of the bad guy and all that but he he holds out his hand he doesn't just hold it out for like your straightforward handshake he does it for the uh the predator like the the grab oh yeah the I saw the screenshots yeah. I saw the screenshots and the captions it was yeah and Miro takes it and they just hold for a second they don't quite hug well, he's hesitant yeah but he does it and he's like Okay, if you're genuine, then then yeah. yeah. And then as he turns to leave, Hobbs immediately attacks him from behind. <sighs> because even the best meat can go bad. I'm, I'm going to leave that behind in this segment. Uh, but yeah, so he's he's choking Miro on the ground. He's not done. And then uh, music hits. <laughs> Who's here to save the day? The words hot and flexible appear on the screen. This and could be anybody. For a second, I thought it was an emergency delivery from uh, Little Caesars. But no. That's not their motto. That's um, hot and ready. There it is. Um, it is, as Nigel McGinnis termed her, the missus of the meat. And CJ Perry makes her debut in All Elite Wrestling, comes out. I'm pretty sure I saw a video called that once. Only once? That's all I needed. I may have come across it once <laughs> or twice. Across it, you devil. Anyway, so she comes to the top of the ramp. Uh, I almost got out of that. What you should have said was nothing. Uh, comes to the top of the ramp, takes a moment to pose, and then kicks off both her heels, very sensibly. Right. Charges down to the ring, grabs a chair, comes running into the ring, and lays it across Hobbs' back. And he, Oh, you don't want to do that. Yeah, he barely just make him mad. Because, you know, she is still like a 130-pound you know, woman, and he is an enormous man. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he stands, turns to face her, but that gives Miro the chance to grab the chair whack him and send him running out of the ring and then whacked his meat yep might, yep. might you say in front of everyone that was wheat meat wasn't gonna whack itself so and then and then cj was looking for you know yeah it's like a kudos hello or for, a yeah for for helping and he just kind of gets up he looks upset at her and just leaves on his own i couldn't quite hear what he said watching it live apparently he shouted you're not real at her <laughs> oh they did a reference to that i was, huh? I was wondering he's like that she's not real that woman back there oh uh, well it, it, yeah there was a the, well, the woman was talking about a guy it's like she was like that yeah. guy like the woman on the plane who had who was having an episode apparently yeah. it turns out and, um, yeah actually having a psychotic episode i feel a little bit bad for making fun of her i mean i don't feel bad for making fun of the video well, it's, it's a reference i mean it's not really i don't yeah. know if it's really it wasn't really making fun of her it was more like he's also going through something yeah. clearly that's Very i think clearly. that's what they're trying to convey they, i think well I, I guess clearly they'd been talking about her coming over for a while but they didn't want to just have her immediately step into being oh lana and rusev again right right so they're going to do something maybe a little more with this uh, well, I didn't notice at the time until somebody pointed afterwards. She doesn't get a name tag or a nameplate when she comes out. It's just, and it doesn't appear on the on the video. It just shows like hot and flexible, and then she comes out. The commentary doesn't even call her by a name, not Lana or C.J. Perry or anything else. It's just like, well, it's Miro's wife. 
because apparently this deal got finalized, even though they've been talking about it for a while, it got finalized apparently pretty late le- this past week, so they may not have actually settled on an in-ring name for her maybe yet. Maybe not. So, yeah, that, uh, that may be something they have to figure out between now and the next collision. Or Tony Khan only believes a woman has as much value as her husband. Thanks, dogs, for chiming in. <laughs> it's like, so how much is AJ Lee's cut going to be after this week? Or she's not real. Please don't write me letters. <laughs> All right. Well, you are wrong about t- Tony Khan not valuing women because right after that match, we get a, a- AEW TBS championship match with Chris Statlander defending her TBS title against Ruby Soho. Uh, speaking of videos you may have cro- come across, uh, Ruby is joined at the ring by Soraya. <laughs> that is one of the most genuine laughs I've ever heard Dave give before. I was looking up because I wasn't sure if he'd get that, but it's like, no, no. We've- oh, That's- well played. If there's one thing he knows about her. <laughs> yeah. I'm giving you the clap. The way the New Day tried to give Soraya the clap. <laughs> anyway. So you the boss, you want to talk about meat slapping together? <laughs> you weren't the boss, you'd be an HR nightmare. You really would. I am the boss and I'm an HR nightmare. That's what I'm saying. Writing yourself exactly. up. Lengthy angry reports on your own desk every morning. But yeah, so TBS title match, only uh, only women's match on the proper card, uh, but I actually really liked it. Oh, I don't think I said it for the last one. Um, Miro versus Hobbs, I gave it meat out of five, four and three quarters, <laughs> like really, really close to damn perfect, except yeah. for the fact that it it just it was everything that makes me love pro wrestling oh, yeah, and what it yeah. could be. It's just that the story itself was just these two guys want to beat each other up, and that's all you need. But I need something and a then, little more. And then there were, there were other elements to it. And then the crowd made it something yeah. extra special. That I feel like the crowd did 30% of the work to get it to where crowd it was. crowd really seasoned that meat. <laughs> all right. I think we're done. Yes. Leaving all that behind. So, yes. Are we? <laughs> well, no, because Soraya does make an appearance. She does. <laughs> she does. And we are going to respect her as the AEW Women's World Champion. She's left that part of her life behind, and we can do so as well, regardless of what's been left in her behind. That was a whole other name. Cut the last 10 seconds. <laughs> uh, I will not. I was going to say, he's the editor. He's definitely not. This is going to be the one mom starts listening to. No. Anyway, so. I'm sorry I, I, Chris, said all that. <laughs> Your impression of me is getting better all the time. Thank you. I'm trying to help. Shut up. <laughs> okay. Attempt number five, Chris Statlander defending the TBS championship against Ruby Soho. Now, I actually have loved Ruby since she showed up in AEW. She didn't really make that much of an impression with me or on me with the Riot Squad back in WWE, but I don't know, just something about her work as like the outcast or the runaway uh, ever since she showed up. I think it was back at uh, All Out 2021, maybe, or was it something or nothing? Yeah. yeah, so with uh, Tony Storm kind of being a multi-time women's champion and now also getting her own arc and Soraya now being the women's champion, I was a little worried that Ruby was going to fade off. So I'm glad that she got a chance to shine on a pay-per-view. And, 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 and her, her setup for this whole thing is basically how much she needs to be a champion yeah. at this point. <laughs> it's just like, 
Tony just lost it. Uh, Soraya just won it. Tony lost it in more ways than one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think uh, I don't know if you saw the promo on Collision, but uh, Soraya and uh, Tony were giving an interview backstage. Or, sorry, Soraya and Ruby were giving an interview backstage, and Ruby was trying to insist that the outcasts were as strong as ever and nothing was going to divide them. But she had to admit she had just seen Tony in the parking lot half naked throwing shoes at birds. <laughs> but never mind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tony Storm uh, just, uh, how did somebody call it? The fallen starlet of Tony mm-hmm. Storm is just one of my favorite gimmicks in women's wrestling right now. Just she lost her title and immediately became Nora Desmond from Sunset Boulevard. That's exactly what it is. Just she's got her robe on and she's got her hand spread over her collarbone and she's just like her hair, at everything. Her hair is in an old time Hollywood starlet style. Yeah, just the high curls and everything. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. And she's, she's breaking up because yeah, Tony did. Or Soraya pinned her to win the world title at All In. She's she she's got that kind of I won't uh, that kind of uh, I'm trying to think of a good word like boozy archetype of like the yeah. the the lady who's fallen on hard times and is drinking herself for com- drinking for comfort. Yeah, yeah. the Nord, Norma Desmond. Yes, yeah, I know, well I haven't <laughs> seen the movie. I'm just giving. A, impressions for people who also have not seen it i have an idea of what that is uh, but it, it's just that sort of like she's still got all the glamour but just the crazy <laughs> is starting to push oh, out yes. from further under it but speaking of the actual people in the match not to foreshadow anything about tony but um ruby and statlander i really like the setup of this because statlander is not the most gifted technician but she is a phenomenal athlete mm-hmm. and ruby is just gonna have to out wrestle her if she wants to have a chance at winning this something the uh, the commentary went on about was about how statlander is bigger as a for uh, in, in terms of like a women's size yeah so she's a more formidable opponent that way yeah well, and, well it's just that like at one point i think she puts uh, ruby in a, a gory special like that stretch over her back and then mm-hmm. just drops into a full squat while she's doing that yep uh, at one point, she cut a promo backstage while uh, doing squats with Renee Paquette across her shoulders. Like, she's just very, very strong. And, yeah, so the whole story of the match is, you know, Ruby trying to, like, catch her with, like, you know, uh, uh, leg sweeps and other things to just, like, get her down and Statlander powering through. Um Oh, another note about Statlander's gear. It was apparently inspired by Derek Zoolander. Zoolander, Uh, She tagged Ben Stiller on Twitter, who commented that she was ridiculously good-looking in it, which was just a (laughs) a nice little wholesome bit of wrestling, even if I'm not sure Stiller had any idea what was going on. Um, Yeah, otherwise, not too much story of the actual match itself. Just goes along pretty well. Um, Eventually, Ruby hits her destination unknown finisher on Statlander, uh, when Statlander kicks out at two, Ruby, uh, she doesn't just turn to the ref. She, like, crawls halfway across the ring on her knees to the ref and, like, tries to throw herself on him. Just like, what's it? And he, like, falls back in the corner trying to, to like, yes, yes, it was two. Stay off of me. Uh, but while she's doing that, Soraya has set up the paint can in one corner uh. and then gone to the other corner to distract the ref. Ruby goes over, grabs the can, but suddenly Tony Storm is crawling out from under the ring. She, uh... She just yanks the can out of Ruby's hand. Ruby stares out at her, and Tony just, with this blissful smile on her face, just sprays the can aimlessly into the air several times, just looking like a a child who's just gotten, like, a silly string at a party. Oh, my goodness. And Ruby has no idea what to do with that, but she turns back into the ring and immediately gets hit with the Sunday Night Fever from Statlander uh, and gets pinned for the three. And (laughs) after it's over... uh, Tony just walks back up the ramp still with that, you know, very heavily medicated smile on her face. 
uh, I, I love it, and I, I hope they keep going with this because, yeah, the the crazier Tony gets, then the the more the harder the outcasts try to pretend it's not a problem, the funnier it's going to well, be. They're eventually going to have to kick her out. Clearly, that's I mean, it's it's it can't stay. Eventually, but I hope we <laughs> yeah at least get another yeah at least through Grand Slam on this. And then she's going to go nuts. <laughs> oh, she hasn't even started the crazy yet. Uh, and so yeah, I gave that. Uh, I gave. I it. want there to be at least some form of some scene she causes where that ends up. Either she can do it organically, or just they somehow just do the makeup where she's got the mascara streaming down her face. Like they leave a note in, in the locker room to tell her she's out of the group, and then they have a match later on, and she just comes down the ramp looking like Cruella oh, yeah. Deville. Oh yeah. Oh, it's gonna be glorious. Again, that's the best part of the Starlet is you watch them and you just know that the meltdown is going in slow process, but when the mm-hmm. eruption comes, that's when that's when the real magic is. See, I give that a three and three quarters. Again, nice, solid women's match. I really like Statlander as champion, and uh, yeah, excited to see where they go with both plot lines. Alrighty. Oh, another neat thing, by the way, is that Statlander is uh, works in ASL in her entrances. Um, she oh. signs more than a woman, and she signed TBS champion after winning. I looked into that. Apparently, she it was just something she learned because she was she met some deaf fans at shows and oh, was like, okay. they never, that's nice. They always feel like it's a little harder to connect, so I just learned some basic phrases to try and and make that easier. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Speaking of connections, oh, good segue. Uh, next up, we have Ricky Starks versus the American Dragon Brian oh, Danielson in a strap boy. match. Now, so the setup to this was interesting. You said, yeah. So, for uh, ever since his return at uh, in, on Collision, CM Punk had made the point that nobody had ever pinned him to take the AEW World Champion, and so therefore, since he still had the old belt, he was the real World Champion until somebody defeated him. Well, forget all that. Yeah, so you have Ricky Starks building and building and building to a match with Punk here in Chicago. Uh, that's up, but none of this is Starks' fault, and clearly yeah. nobody backstage has any will will against the kid. Uh, but the one element they can pull out of this feud is that Ricky the Dragon Steamboat did get involved as a, at a special referee at some point. He did. And Starks uh, started attacking him during a match, and so they decided Ricky Starks was going to have a match with the Dragon. And so he comes out, and he signs the contract for his strap match with the Dragon. And then, in that classic wrestling turn, Ricky Steamboat explains, The name on the contract is The Dragon, but I'm not the only one who's called The Dragon. Brian Danielson, who, again, was not supposed to be recovered from a badly broken arm until October, comes out because the company needs him, and Tony Khan has sent up the... LaBelle signal or whatever it is that calls him whenever people the need LaBelle their heads light. kicked in. There we go. LaBelle light. Yeah, so apparently Danielson wasn't even medically clear till earlier this week. Obviously, they weren't planning for things with Punk to go the way they did. So this was a match that was thrown together at very much the last minute because they didn't want Starks to just be shuffled off to the side with nothing right, to do. Right. You can kind of tell because the thing about a strap match is that for the most part, it really is okay, my turn to hurt you, your turn to hurt me, mm-hmm. rinse, repeat, 20-plus minutes. Also, Danielson, if you look closely, does not throw a single shot with his right arm. He's clearly favoring it um, and is, like, protecting that, that injury while he still gets back to 100%. Right, as, is, as it would be expected. All of that said, this was a brutal, brutal match. Because it, officially it was 22 minutes long. 
The match did not officially start until after Starks had attacked Danielson for about five minutes and busted him open because yeah. he attacked Danielson after Danielson had taken the strap on, but before they put it on Ricky. So he just beats him around the ring and mm -hmm. then finally rolls him back in, takes the strap, and then the official match starts. And 90% of that is just them whipping each other bloody, including what looked like a lot of unprotected face shots with that leather strap. Yeah, yeah. Oof. Again, basic storytelling, but you have to show up and you have to commit to it, and these men both really did. There's a uh, the the they put out a picture that uh, they took of uh, Brian Danielson after the match oh. that went around on Twitter. Oh my gosh! I was like immediately I looked at it, I was like, someone should license that and make it an album cover because that's fucking beautiful. Yeah, because he's just got clear blue eyes staring out from just a red curtain across the entire top of his face. This thousand yard stare. Yeah. His blood is just streamed down his face. So uh, apparently. Tony Khan, maybe in an act of drunken binge spending after he had to let Punk go, shelled out for... Well, maybe they got so many plays off of it. You know what? It would have to be a lot to justify the expense, but for whatever reason, yes. Now and again, Danielson comes out to the final countdown, which he last came out to at Forbidden Door. Mm -hmm. And after that show, Tony Khan explained that that had cost about as much as a contract for a new wrestler. Right. In other news, Sonny Kiss has not had their contract renewed with AEW, but... Well, I mean, <laughs> something did open up because uh, someone did exit right before <laughs> that event. Yeah. So it's like, you know what, we, we got this anyway. Uh, get, get Europe back on the phone. It's like, you know what, we're already spending money, just go. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's, it's a, it is a really good match for the basic layout they have to work with mm -hmm. and just for the fact that this was not at all the plan even five or six days ahead of time. Um, and more kudos for the man who Tony Khan said, if I can't book AEW, you, you turn to him. Yeah. Like this is, this is the reason that Danielson is considered, uh, the word is that he's going to be t stepping into the role that Punk had on Collision is just sort of like face of it. Yeah. A lot of backstage influence. And yeah, this kind the, I don't, I don't want to say it's selflessness for wrestlers to like work through injury. Cause I don't want to say it's good for people to feel compelled to do that, but there isn't a lot that guy won't sacrifice for, for the match that needs to happen. Well, it, it's funny because it's like that's something that, unfortunately, probably can't ever go away in wrestling because part of wrestling, well, one you had to do it in the old days because if you weren't on the road working matches, you weren't earning. Right. At least today with contracts, when you have recuperation time, you you can still get paid. Yeah. But you pay for it. In other ways, like the longer you're out of uh, out of public view, the harder it's going to be to maintain any momentum you had before you were you had to be written out. So uh, in a lot of ways, it, yeah, it's not exactly altruistic. It's a, it's also a way. It's like oh, I gotta you know keep my uh, keep my status. And in, in an element, it definitely is. Although to Danielson's credit, on top of everything else. He uh, said in the interviews afterwards that he feels Ricky carried him through the match, which mm. when Danielson is saying you've carried him, I feel like that's got to feel like you've reached a certain, that's, certain that, level. That's an incredible compliment, and, especially, and it's, it's, it's an incredible um, endorsement of somebody yeah. to say it's like, oh, Brian Danielson is saying Ricky Starks carried him through the match. It's like, that's something. That's and I feel like there is... Uh, for all that we've just said that Danielson is like a give it up for the company kind of guy, mm -hmm. 
I'm not sure he would have done this for just anybody. Oh, absolutely. But I think somebody like Starks, that he believes in enough and is like, you know what, this kid, like, he deserves to have this show in front of Chicago, and I'm going to yeah. do whatever and, and I can. Especially after having to be forced into retirement, I think he understands the value oh, yeah. of also, like, if I don't have to be there, then I will step back. Yeah. He also, uh, Danielson, um, mentioned uh, after the after the show that he said uh, it was important to me that we get this right because my last strap was strap match was with somebody that I really loved because mm-hmm. his last one before of, this had been against the Fiend. That at was Royal part Rumble of his promo, yeah, yeah. Just and again, that's one of those things that out of context just sounds insane and maybe a little bit in context, but it just, in wrestling context, no, you get it yeah. immediately. So. Yeah, good match all the way through. Uh, Ricky Steamboat gets involved eventually. Who, by the way, Ricky Steamboat looks good for like normal person seventy. He not yeah, not well, even like professional wrestling seventy. He looks good for no, normal he does. person he, seventy. He, he's always he's always aged well. Yeah. I think, and I think he's always been really good at taking care of himself. Were you? Were you? I mean, uh, I'm not saying I hated it, but the uh, the back and forth between him and Nigel McGuinness was interesting. I, I didn't hear much of that just because I was talking with someone during the match. But yeah, there, there were a lot of just like it felt like lines that didn't get picked up on, or like a joke McGuinness was trying to start that Steamboat wasn't going to go ahead with. I, 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 they were both trying, but I don't think the chemistry was quite there, and it kind of overpowered everything because the uh, the other people at the table didn't get a chan- much of a chance to talk. Yeah. Now, thankfully, Steamboat didn't have to stay behind the table forever because eventually uh, Big well, Bill... Yeah, because he, he came in to even the odds after Big yeah. Bill interfered. Yeah, so he l- throws some shots into uh, Big Bill. Uh, Bill turns around and grabs him the choke. And Danielson just kind of heaves Starks over the over the <laughs> rings to, to land on Bill to, to break that up. Um, and then uh, there's a great little shot of Steamboat going back to commentary, and it looks like he's wiping his knuckles down with a moist towelette, just having, <laughs> having handled his business. Just doing that innocent old man whistling. Yep. <laughs> All right. So, uh, again, Danielson is bleeding and bleeding bad for most of this match, which makes the end of it um, where he's, like you said, got this very metal-looking crazy man face uh, mm-hmm. announcing uh, that he's going to kick his fucking head in, which is his <laughs> AEW catchphrase. Uh, not, not quite the same as yes, but um, so he does. But uh, it's got some bite to it, I will yeah. say. <laughs> So he does those Danielson stomps on Ricky's face and puts him in the lapel lock. Uh, Ricky screams and screams, but he's still not going to tap out. So Danielson just reapplies the hold by taking the leather strap and wrapping it all the way around Ricky's neck and mm-hmm. just pulling him fully off the ground from the from the waist up. And with some of the best face acting I've ever seen in wrestling, you just see the light go out in Ricky's eyes as like his entire face just freezes and he slumps over like it was actually a little uncomfortable to watch yeah yeah but he does pass out and brian danielson is declared the winner oh man good brutal match that's i always appreciate those kind of endings where it's where it's important to note it's like he passed out it's like the the bret hart stone cold match where it's like he didn't give up he passed out. So it's like he lost, but he didn't lose. You know. And again, it was, as someone pointed out, it is so wonderful. Or I, sh- I should say, he lost, but he didn't get beat. No, he did not. He never gave up. But it's so awesome in AEW to see Danielson presented as this that, mm-hmm. like, as someone pointed out, no matter how many times he'd won the world championship or how many WrestleManias he'd won at or anything else, Brian Danielson was always the underdog in those matches. He really was. They never really gave him the chance to be. 
dominant. Yeah, and on Collision, when he his music hits and he comes out, Ricky Starks gets to have an oh shit. Face. Even at, even at his evilest vegan. <laughs> yeah, he still needed Eric Redbeard to back him up. Yeah, basically. But yeah, so I give that match uh, four and a quarter. Again, uh, for all the of the craziness that went into it, they they delivered, and Ricky Starks is still looking like a mm-hmm. like a big deal coming out of it, and they've got they've got him on track for whatever they want to do next. And so, getting into the next kind of the opposite of that. Um, actually, whoop, no, hold on, I think I jumped. Sorry. Uh, the next match it was a little surprising to me because for all the people involved, I did not think that this one was kind of going to be my popcorn match. Uh, this one was the Blackpool Combat Club, Claudio Castagnoli and Wheeler Yuta oh, yeah, yeah. against Eddie Kingston and Katsuyori Shibata. Uh, tag team match, no particular stakes apart from Eddie Kingston just really, really wanted to get his hands on Claudio Castagnoli again. Yeah, this really was just the, uh, it's just a, here's a tag match if you want. Yeah. Um, and I, I love all these guys. It's great seeing them, but it did feel like a lot of, hey, here's a reminder of where the story is going to go eventually. Like when mm-hmm. uh, when Claudio and Kingston eventually have a rematch in Ring of Honor or uh, honestly, some of their exchanges, I'd be really excited to see Claudio and Shibata square off at some point because mm-hmm. they, they traded some European uppercuts that were they just really nasty looking. So again, not not a bad match by any stretch, but it did sort of feel like a bit of a breather. It absolutely was. Not a lot of big moments, not a lot of super intense moments, just, you know, good 15-minute uh, start-to-finish story that sets up where they want all this stuff to go next. Um, yeah, Claudio got the pin on Eddie uh, after a surprise yes. European uppercut. And they did, uh, yeah, so he, uh, Eddie turns into it. Uh, Claudio hits him with the uppercut, pins him, one, two, three, and Eddie's arm goes up a second late. Mm-hmm. So he's just stunned enough for three, but he's he's not down. And that's, again, nice way to protect Kingston. They did do that two matches in a row because that also happened in the next one, which we'll get to. Right. But, um, AEW's gotten a little better at not having too many spots get repeated, but that one did stick out a little bit. Um, otherwise, yeah, really good. Uh, they're they're keeping the thing going where Claudio's just ignoring Eddie, like uh, mm-hmm. like the um, like the X trying just studiously avoiding eye contact by like walking to the other side of the road or whatever. Even when like he tags out, he just immediately turns and stares outside to the to the ring floor. Even when Eddie's getting like beaten up like three feet away from him. It's like they spotted each other in the street and Claudio is like, oh God. And he starts looking away and trying to walk faster. And Eddie's like, hey, hey, yeah. <laughs> I'm not done with you. Uh, yeah. Uh, Eddie does come out with a shirt that says Claudio sucks eggs, which is. Yes. A dust, as a, as a uh, Terry Funk reference. There it is. Okay. I knew, yeah. It I knew was, that had to be something specific. He, he, uh, Terry Funk famously, when he was feuding with Dusty Rhodes, wore a shirt that said Dusty sucks eggs. <laughs> Oh, Eddie, even your, even your hard scrabble insults are steeped in wrestling lore. Mm-hmm. It honestly wouldn't surprise me, based on the way this goes, that Claudio's next step in the, his Ignore Eddie Kingston campaign might be to like come out to both, Claudia, or to both Eddie and Shibata and be like, all right, I'm tired of having you chase me. I'm going to give you, pointing at Shibata, an ROH title shot and just give the, the shot to Eddie's tag partner just to screw with him. Oh, possibly. But yeah, so I gave it I gave it three and a half. Again, good work from all men, but this just was this was one where they took the foot off the gas for a little bit because they knew what had come before and they knew it was gonna come next and they the crowd needed a needed a breather. Let's see. Alright, because the next one up is kind of the opposite of the Danielson Starks. This is the one they have been building for a long time. And actually they got a little heat for not putting this one at all in, but 
I'm glad they put it where they did because, man, uh, com- coming off of the all-in tag match where Takeshita got the pin on Omega, he now faces this Kenny one. Omega in a singles match uh, accompanied by Don Callis. And which uh, Kenny has been wanting to do this ever since uh, both Callis and Takeshita separately betrayed him and separately scra- stabbed him with screwdrivers in the process of doing so. What a weird coincidence. Is it just him? Does he attract screwdrivers? He, sh- he should not have gone to England. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, Takeshita comes out with a... Uh, you're, it was like a, the cloak that a Jigsaw wore in the early Saw movies, that kind of like over the head. Well, that, and he came out to the, a theme that I can only describe as, you know that one uh, video of the cat standing on the keyboard <laughs> and that someone captioned a cat wrote a horror uh, movie soundtrack? <laughs> That's what is that? I think that's Callus's theme. It's like a it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a hold on a scare note. Wha- <laughs> yeah, it's it's the perfect thing for Callus, who does does not get enough respect for the amount of of heat that he just generates. Sure, also, around. but if I have the option, I'm just going to mute it till he gets in the ring. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Pity those poor bastards who bought tickets live. Uh, Kenny gets his usual... Actually, I, uh, I have a story about that. Uh, at the bookstore, Dave will sometimes switch up the music, and he'll put it on the uh, the Cinemagic station, which is, you know, play music from movies, primarily movie scores. And sometimes there's just a block of horror movie music that all of a sudden, uh, in the bookstore, middle of the day, it, things get unbearably tense for no good reason. <laughs> there was a... Back when The Onion had its, like, video news section, they had a story mm-hmm. called Ominous Music Mysteriously Accelerating... <laughs> And it's just people all around the world trying to figure out. <laughs> oh no, the music's diegetic. <laughs> they can all hear it. Yeah, so uh, Kenny gets his usual list of like uh, accomplishments that Justin Roberts does before he enters. The fact mm-hmm. that they're actually in Chicago makes it e- a little easier for him to fit in the North Carolina <laughs> bit because that started as like a Michael Jordan reference that Kenny just yeah. found funny and yeah. they've never taken out. Um but yeah, so Kenny Omega and Kanosuke Takeshita just are going at it in the singles match that's been building for months and months. And wow, does it show that Takeshita is, has a very long and glorious future professional wrestling ahead of him because he is just matching Kenny beat for beat on this, and yeah. Kenny is giving him everything he's got. Uh, I thought like seeing uh, Kenny versus Osprey, I was like, wow, how many people can get Kenny at this level? like watching from Forbidden Door and then I see Takeshita like already almost there and he's maybe 20 I think 27 28 years old mm. like oh my gosh they they are very smart in putting the chips on him that they are this uh. was a good match I just I'm just not into Japanese wrestling as much as they would like me to be to really enjoy this <laughs> So, like, is it just, like, the, the style of it, the I, spots? No, no, What's it's not the... the style. It's not the style. It's just, like, I... Well, it's the fact that we're how many matches in at this point? Eleven? And we've got another two matches that are an hour to go. Well, I was actually correct. Eleven. Yeah, that's fair. This And this one does end up going over 30 minutes. I think at this point I kind of, like... Like if the the Claudio the Claudio Eddie Kingston tag match had been a breather, but then the fatigue set in anyway. See, I think admittedly part of the reason that I'm I'm so uh, I'll go ahead and say I'm I'm pretty uh, warm on the last couple of matches on the on this card 
are because when Gene and I were watching it uh, on Sunday, we got kind of a late start because we uh, yeah. we made like a Labor Day dinner first. Uh, and so by the time this match started, we were both really tired. There was a Wi-Fi connection issue that took like 20 minutes to resolve. Mm-hmm. Got like five minutes in. And we're both just like, Let, let's call it. We'll finish this tomorrow. So I actually... You were fresher on this part. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. So I came back in. I, I admit, maybe if I'd watched it like start to finish the night of, I would have also been kind of there. Yeah, I'm not trying to be down on this match. It's just like, because the, the last two matches of the night woke me back up. I, got, I mean, I was back in. But uh, I just thought, around here, I just kind of like... Like, I get this is good, but man, it's just not connecting with me like I want it to. That's fair. See, for me, I think Kenny does that style in a particular way that, um, because I feel like with Japanese wrestling, you have kind of this mix between just sort of your Minoru Suzuki, just your kind of like Mm -hmm. MMA style, like strong style, as they call it, just like stiff hits and forearms and just every move looking like it's about to knock somebody out. And then you've got kind of more of your like um, Ibushi and Tanahashi that's a little more like more high-flying, more stylized. And can he, I just find it interesting because I feel like he hybridizes those. He's got the high-flying thing, but he's also got moves like the V-trigger or cells that just make it look like a a part of his head has just been knocked off of the rest of his body. Right, right. Um, Like, he takes another landing spot on his head, which I really wish he would stop doing. Um, there's one bit where he tries to do a hurricane rana on Takeshita off the uh, off the turnbuckle. Takeshita oh, yeah. catches him yeah. and just like slingshots him back over, mm-hmm. and Kenny slams face first into the second turnbuckle pad, and it's amazingly well placed because like Takeshita had to get him like exactly right for that, but he does almost nothing to cushion himself. And even commentary points out like what's that? What do they call it? his nose? It's uh it's smooshed, smooshed on the turnbuckle pad as he like just slides off like a bird going down a down a glass window. Oh, man. Just, yeah, I, I enjoyed this. 30 minutes, but it, it felt like it moved pretty well. Um, Takeshita's just very comfortable as a heel. His, I think his strikes look pretty dang devastating. Uh, there's a great bit where he um, knocks Kenny out uh, to the floor outside and starts dragging a bunch of chairs out from under the, uh, under the ring. Mm-hmm. And starts uh, just laying them around and then picks one up and very slowly, dramatically raises it over his head, at which point the ref immediately walks up and grabs it and is like, no, you can't do that. That's illegal. And Takesh just like, oh, I'm sorry. And actually does like a little like bowing, like, oh, mea culpa. I am so sorry. And gets back in the ring. And it's like, oh, by the way, I think my boot's coming loose. Could you? And while he's doing that, Cal just grabs the rest of the chairs and stacks them on Kenny's chest. So mm-hmm. Takeshita can do a sent on over the ropes to hit him. That's right. Because it's not illegal if it's already there. Exactly. It's just, you know. You just can't hit him with it. Yeah. Who, if, who, who can see how those chairs got there? Yeah. The Kenny thought he was in bed and was pulling covers on himself. <laughs> Yeah, the um, the ending to this match also was kind of crazy. Just going off of the uh, again, the the longest feud in this whole thing has been Screwdrivers versus Kenny Omega. Yeah, yeah, I did enjoy the the uh, subversion of that. Yeah, so Kenny gets knocked up and he's lo- knocked over to the ropes and is lying uh, with his head kind of under the ropes on the apron. Callus pulls the screwdriver out of his jacket, goes to stab him. Kenny rolls away at the last second and Callus embeds that thing. In the apron. So when he takes his hand off, it's just embedded standing upright. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually, I think uh, Cal then gets hit like out, like with a baseball slide or something, but he's knocked away from a second. Uh, Kenny hits some V triggers, but this leaves Takeshita right by the screwdriver, which he picks up as Kenny drags him up for the one winged angel. You think uh, Takeshita's going to stab him, but uh, the referee catches it 
grabs it out of his hand, but that slows him down enough that Kenny can't do the move. Takeshita counters, gets Kenny down, drops his knee pad. I don't think it's a V-trigger when you do it just in the middle of the ring, but does a running knee strike to the back of Kenny's head mm-hmm. and pins him. And similar to before, Kenny gets his arm up, but a half a second late. Yep. I liked it a lot. Again, that could be the, the uh, just the, the fact that I was watching it the next day a little more refreshed. But I'm, I'm excited to see where they go with this. I think um, if they want to keep MJF as a face, I would love to see Takeshita be one of the people who might take the belt off of him. Because, um, again, if you want to have MJF feud against heels more loathsome than he is, Don Callis is right there. That's true. Yeah, so uh, good match. I gave it... Uh, I gave it four and a half. Very nice. All right. So uh, I was not here watching it with uh, Dogs and Kara, but I'm going to guess that uh, there were probably like reactions all over the place to this one because you have <laughs> uh, Bullet Club Gold consisting of Austin and Colton Gunn, Jay White, and Juice Robinson. This was interesting because I missed the build up to this. I had no idea this team up was going to happen. Well, there wasn't really so much build up as much as uh, on Dynamite. They showed a, a clip from backstage after All In where FTR and the Young Bucks are like talking over the spot where FTR offered a handshake, the Young Bucks refused, and then Bullet Club Gold come up and are just like, ha-ha, you're all losers. So a second later, FTR and the Young Bucks are a team now because as much as they don't like each other, man, screw those guys. (laughs) So, yeah, it is FTR and the Young Bucks against Bullet Club Gold. Spike can be a powerful bond. Really can in wrestling. What I liked about this, it it is the classic can-they-coexist Yes. storyline but it's between two tag teams not just between two individuals and funny enough over the course of the match they do <laughs> they really do and it's not just um a matter of like oh friendly fire or anything else it's uh like can they slide into each other's moves and finishers and they do it's really surprising like i i was not expecting at all to see <laughs> to see them do the bte trigger <laughs> As, as it was like, was it Dax and Matt? So it's Dax and Matt Jackson, and Matt does the whole, like, throw his hand up with a big smile, and Dax just checks an invisible wristwatch yep. and then does the move anyway. Because <laughs> he's and, like, I'll do it, but I'm not going to act like an idiot the way and, you and, do. And Nick and Cash do, uh, is it either Nick, I think it's Nick and Cash, they did a shatter machine. Yeah, because I think uh, Dax gets knocked out of the way, so Nick mm-hmm. just slides in to be the other person. Yeah, on the, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of really good segments like that where it's, just their whole momentum is built around the moments where they get on each other's wavelength and then it falls apart when they're not in that rhythm. Yeah, it's like they're two sides of the same coin when they're when they're yeah. working together. And I always like this when it's the coexist team versus mm-hmm. the, the the more functional team, just showing how, you know, in one on one the bullet club gold's not really coming out ahead. Like if but it when it's a chance for like Jay White and the guns to like triple team Dax yeah. Wheeler, they're they're getting out ahead because the other three guys can't form up well enough to stop them. Mm-hmm. And, it, and that factors into the ending of it, too. Yeah. Um, I will say, by the way, just quick note on uh, Juice Robinson. Can you imagine telling people that there is a wrestler in AEW called Jungle Boy and that it's not Juice, Juice Robinson? Robinson? No, I yeah. don't think I could. Just, I think it's him, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> Try again. David, I think uh, Gene and Shelby showed you the uh, honeycomb guy. Produce Robinson. Yes, yeah. yes, we had a lot of fun with yeah, that. He's one. the honeycomb monster. <laughs> but now this this is just a fun match. I I feel like I blinked and missed when the guns suddenly became like a tag team at this level. But they're just 
moving I around think each they, other I think so they, well. They, uh, either they they've been close to it, or they they've they hit that point a while ago, and this is the they've brought, finally been able to show it off. More. Yeah, yeah. The Bullet Club Gold, because there have been a couple of attempts to do like ah, we're the Bullet Club in America that have never quite come together. This one might actually have some legs under it. I, I, think I so. hope they. I think part a of couple of guns at least. It does indeed. <laughs> Nobody ever thought to involve the guns in the Bullet Club before. Now, what what have wrestlers just been leaving behind? Well, they've, and their unofficial nickname that that they've latched onto is Bang Bang Club. <laughs> oh no, no, the Bang Bang Gang. Excuse me, that's right. <laughs> I'm sorry, Bang Bang Gang. It's important that it be at least 25% sexual. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, a lot of lot of fun tag match. Only a little over 20 minutes actually, which uh, given yeah. for how some of the people involved, I thought it was going to go a lot longer. And I think what hooked me into it at least was like watching. FTR and and uh, the coexist thing, the the FTR and uh, and Young Bucks actually start to gel as a team. Yeah, I, I appreciate that uh, FTR are the ones who are just more visibly unhappy about it, whereas the Bucks are kind of just trying to work around it. But there's a bit where like Dax is the face in in peril for a little bit. He mm-hmm. finally managed to like chop his way free from the corner, and he gets out. Looks back to his and sees that only the Jacksons are standing there. And he sort of puts his hands on his hips and looks down a little bit. It's like, ah, well, I gotta. And tags them in. Uh, also, crazy. Remember like a week and a half ago where uh, Cash Wheeler's legal troubles were like a major news story in, in Wrestle Fandom? Remember, remember when we were talking about that? <laughs> and then he fights. the. It's weird that he would fight the gun club. Yeah. Well, he's not allowed in anymore. Uh, not until the state of Florida makes I its verdict. I think they'll change his mind when he flashes his strap. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's one of those things where I'm like, it's bad. No question that what he's accused yeah. of is bad, but it it doesn't seem like a oh he should never work in the industry again. No, bad. no, it's not. If any, I mean, the implications of what he did are bad, but it's real. It's really more or less a. I mean, it's not the road raid incident that ended in shots fired. Right. So it's just like, it's like, okay, he lost his head and he's like, hey, I'm holding. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, That's if fine. anything, it's like, yes, punish him for that. But it's not like a blacklist situation. Right. And then the the end of the match, uh, surprisingly, was, uh, was uh, Bullet Club Gold took advantage uh, of a mistime. Yeah. So uh, FTR tries to uh, hit a shatter machine on. I think it was uh, Colton Gun. Although I, I still have trouble telling them apart. A gun. Um, and uh, they managed to break it up. Uh, Jay White is right there to hit a Blade Runner on Cash, and Colton just chucks Dax out of the ring. Uh, Nick Jackson tries to get in, but Austin Gun, the legal man, manages to get the pin just before he can make it there. Yep. And I, like I said, that factors in because. As they're leaving, FTR and, and Young Bucks, are, uh, the Young Bucks are going. I'm sorry, I was late. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, there's an nice argument over that where Matt and uh, Matt Jackson and, and Dax Harwood are on the other side of the ring, and they both just look like they're commiserating a little bit. Yeah, they're like, ah, like, dang it. Like, I don't know what happened. Yeah. I, like, I don't know what. And then he come around. He's like, I was late. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, it. I, I feel like a certain level of uh, of subtext got added to this based on the weekend's events, but. Mm-hmm. Good to see them all working together. Very this is true. a fun story. Very true. Yeah, and I, yeah, I just didn't overstay its welcome. Told a really fun story that both made the Bullet Club Gold look really good, and also found a lot of fun dynamics well, in the I Jacksons think, and FTR. I think also, there, I mean, there's enough evidence there that although they had their differences, they were at least fine with, uh, well, to to take the meme uh, to bring the meme back again to at least coexist. Yeah. In the in the fact they like they weren't looking to actively eject punk but they were just like, you know what, we'll just 
we'll just run around each other unless we can you know, until we can find common ground. Yeah. And I think at least, and I think FDR understands that too. I think so. All right. So let's see that. I gave that one a four. Uh, just Solid, again. yeah. Yeah, really fun, really exciting. Uh, and then up next we come to our main event. The main event being a singles match for the AEW International Champion with John Moxley challenging Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy having successfully defended this title in 31 matches over... 32. This is his 32nd this match. This is the 32nd? This okay. is 32nd. In a uh, 326-day title reign. Yep. And uh, so this match, Chris, have you seen uh, the most recent John Wick movie? I have not. I've seen zero John Wick movies, actually, if I'm telling tales. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I'll just say there is a segment in the uh, in kind of the, the climax of the most recent one where John Wick, you know, he's got to fight his way through yeah. Paris and all these assassins are coming at him left and right. And mm -hmm. he's got to get to this place before sunrise. And he gets to the, uh, it's this place in Paris that's like at the top of these like hundred stairs. It's kind of one of those famous like old city walkways. Oh, yeah. And the whole, there's this whole big fight scene where he's fighting his way up the stairs, like weaving over guardrails, like dodging bullets and knocking guys down, brutally fights his way up. He gets to the top and one of the chief henchmen is just there, immediately kicks him in the chest and he goes falling back in like a long unbroken shot down like 50 flights of stairs hits the bottom, starts to get back up, and then the henchman just slides down, kicks him again, and he goes rolling the rest of the way. <laughs> That's what I felt like it was for Orange Cassidy to finally get past 31's uh, defenses and see John Moxley waiting for him. I because, bet. Oh, man. So, holy shit, this match was incredible. It was amazing. And I love so much that from the word, even before the match started... Mox made it clear that he he didn't view Orange Cassidy as a comedy wrestler. He he wasn't going to do the whole, oh, this idiot with his hands. No, he's like, this guy has beaten 31 people. Like, 31 people have tried and failed to beat this guy. The second the bell rings and they start the match, he is attacking Cassidy as seriously mm -hmm. as he's ever come at anybody. Because this guy is not your joke wrestler anymore. He is one of the top stars in the company, and he has been on one of the best championship runs I would say hands down the best, except that I, I don't know what Gunther's doing on, in WWE might be up there as well. But oh my gosh, what Cassidy has done with this title! There was a line that uh, Mox had in the uh, they they showed it in the uh, promo video I think where he was talking about Cassidy and he said, "These idiots, they say he's a cosplay wrestler. Okay, if that's the case, who's he pretending to be? Did any of them become the winningest champion in pro wrestling? No, I didn't think so." Because even when he's going to come at the guy and try to take his title, he doesn't, like, there is not going to be a hint of disrespect here. This match was nothing short of phenomenal, and I, I can explain why. Based on, I'll, I'll go ahead and spoil it. John Moxley does win. But it is not after a knock, it is only after a knockout, dragout battle that, where both men are bleeding heavily. Orange Cassidy literally just a steady stream. Oh my gosh, the, the drip does not stop. <laughs> um, yeah, it is. It is nothing short of just incredibly. And it's like, and, and 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 funny enough, he says all that. Moxley does go to mock Cassidy in the match, and does pay, and, but he pays for it. It's yeah. it's just it is everything I want wrestling to be when I watch a match. Um, it is a it is a match that immediately. Here, here, I'll say this. I understand in a meta sense when we like when we talk about all of this, 
like what the whole point of that was. Because what that match was, was John Moxley, the AEW workhorse, aside from Cassidy, um, goes into that match and despite, I mean, and through that match, through all the grit, blood, everything, puts over, uh, and I, puts over Orange Cassidy as a main eventer. He's, this, this match is proving that no matter what you think of him, he deserves to be in the main event, so he's going to get a break. And in order to do that, as, as is tradition, when you have a lower card title, you have to lose that in order to move up. Yeah. So, in one of the most brutal battles I've ever seen in wrestling, Orange Cassidy loses. Yeah. And John Moxley puts him over big time because he 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 takes the title. What Orange Cassidy wins, just in general. And we can go over the match in more detail, but it, like it's telling that after Mox wins, after yeah. he gets the pinfall, the the rest of the Blackpool Combat Club roll comes out. Mox just rolls out of the ring, yeah. takes the belt, and walks up the ramp, and we finish stumbles. the show. <laughs> stumbles. <laughs> and and the rest, yeah, the rest, the last few minutes of the show is the crowd cheering Orange Cassidy because even if he lost the belt, he is the one standing in the ring at the end of it all. And he finally gets that vacation, and when he comes oh back, he's gonna be up there in a, a, a top position. Yeah, but you know a match is great, and you know a character, and you know a wrestling a wrestler's character is great. When I know all that in a meta sense, I understand it in a meta sense. I understand why why what's happening is happening. But my brain goes, "Fuck all that! I want my boy to win." Fuck you, John yeah. Moxley. It's <laughs> um, just just the 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 moments where Cassidy is like fighting back to his feet, like barely yeah. able to stand, yeah. and just like getting. What I've loved so much about this reign is how desperate they've let him get. Like, mm-hmm. the, he does the thing, and you almost never see a face do this, but when uh, Mox, like, fights on the outside, Mox pulls up the padding outside the ring mm-hmm. looking to do, a, I think, a, a paradigm shift on to, Mox, or to Cassidy onto the exposed concrete. Cassidy counters into a beach break, so Mox hits that concrete. Cassidy rolls into the ring and immediately symbol- signals yeah, yeah. for said, Bryce to start counting. Like, start counting. Yeah, I saw that too. It's like, yeah, no, uh, understandable. It's like a win is a win. I will <laughs> take this. It's a, and it's not a cheap win. It's you a fair win. You are wrestling a small bear. He's <laughs> like, I just want this to be done with. <laughs> I don't uh, care how pretty it is. Not waiting for him to for him to get back up. Right. There's a just so many great visuals. Like the fact that uh, at All In, you know, Mox or Cassidy uh, won his team's match by dipping his wrapping tape on his hand, smashing glass into it and hitting yeah. Superman punches. So he's still got his hand taped up from that. Mm-hmm. And as he's bleeding so badly during the show, you see the uh, padding on it or the tape on his hands get redder and redder yep. as he wipes away. The, his, his, his pants splotched. Oh geez. Yeah. yeah. All the blood stains on like light yeah. denim. Just, <laughs> I never thought about how, how much that stands out. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, yeah. It's, it, it was just, I keep saying the word incredible. It was incredible. It's also, given uh, Mox's history with a certain other person who's fond of a Superman punch and a spear, Yeah. Uh, those orange punches and uh, that, that spear from Cassidy looked like it should have been enough to take him. Like, mm-hmm. I, I thought the match was going to end right there. I thought it was really cool. The top rope spot where Moxley was going to do something to Cassidy. Cassidy, they notice, that they, they say this in commentary, he slips out because he's so bloodied. Yeah, that he's, he just can't get a grip on him. Yeah. Oh it's man, so good. And uh, it was so, so good. and you're right. The, like, that was one of the most important parts of the match. Is even even when Cassidy was being silly, Mox was taking him seriously. Yeah, like 
Like you, you, you contrast that with like say Pack, who didn't. Well, I don't know if it's, he didn't took him seriously. He just wanted to end him because yeah. he was like, you are, you are just a thorn in my side. So it wasn't so much serious. Pack was constantly annoyed that he had to fight Cassidy. That yeah. he even had to spend time on this guy, no matter right. how hard the match got. Mox will spend the time. Yeah. And uh, so the go-home to this is just... Uh... Oh, man, well, I get kind of emotional just thinking about it. <laughs> I do, too. Because like I said, it's like, I understand why this has to happen, but fuck you. I want Orange Cassidy to win. So we get the spot where Mox is uh, on his knees and Cassidy... Puts his hands in his pockets, yeah. and we're you know, like 17 minutes into the match, but he starts to do like the the light the tap kicks, yeah, and then they get harder and faster, and he's kicking with oh, everything yeah, he's no, got because yeah. this is all he's got left. Yep. And Mox isn't even protecting himself at first, and by the time he realizes how hard this is coming, he can't get his hands up to defend mm -hmm. him. Uh, Cassidy backs up for the last kick, and Mox finds it in himself to get up and just flip him over with a lariat. Yep. And so Cassidy somehow gets back to his feet. Mox hits him again, hits a Death Rider, pins him, one, two, and Cassidy gets the smallest, yeah. laziest shoulder up. What's funny is he gets a, the lazy shoulder up, but Mox rears up like, I cannot believe yeah. he rolled out. That was so good. And so Mox just goes to the corner for a second, and he looks down, and he actually looks like he's praying for a moment. <laughs> and Cassidy just somehow his way up. gets his feet under him. He can't, he can barely get his Super hands up. Super shaky. And... He starts to put his hands up and just turns out two middle fingers to Mox because at this point that's all he can do. And then another, and then another. He hits him with another one. Drops him straight down on the top of his head with a Death Rider and, and pins three. him. Yeah. And just Cassidy rolls over and does not move while again the Black Bull Combat Club comes out and there's there's just an amazing shot that they get of. Cassidy lying in the middle of the ring. The yeah. backpack that carried his title yep. is in the foreground. And just in the back, we see Mox and the others just move fast and go up the ramp. But we just we keep the camera on Cassidy in that moment. Congrats on your new title, Mox. Fuck you. Yeah. But also the credibility that Cassidy has put on this title, that both oh, Mox yeah. is credible enough to, to take it off of him without looking like he just got squashed by a quote-unquote real wrestler that's who it took to take it off him. That, yeah. that's, how you, that's how you have to phrase that. You look at Moxley, that's what had to happen to get that title off of Orange Cassidy. And this wasn't like, oh, every three months he's defending it. This is like, he's more weeks than not, I think, out of the last oh, year yeah. he was on television defending this thing. Um, again, just to mention someone else, uh, Roman Reigns, as of today, has held the universal title in WWE for 1,100 days. He mm -hmm. has defended it 28 times. Neat. Who cares? Yeah. So I'm just saying a championship run does not just mean you win forever. See, if they had figured that out for Roman where it's like he's he's to prove him he's head of the table, he's been defending it so much that he's starting to wear down and someone finally is able to take it off him. That's an interesting story I'd have been invested in. Yeah, that would be. More like the bloodline falls apart and he's got to stand on his own and yeah. somehow he does it for like six or eight months before somebody finally gets him down. But no, you know... Maybe it was just after the weekend of drama, after all of the craziness, seeing so many bad faith takes on Twitter from people who just seem to want something fundamentally different from professional wrestling than I do. This match was what I needed. It was just so open-hearted in its storytelling. It was the capper to an excellent show. It was. It really it was. It was the show they needed to give after everything that's happened. And it was the show they delivered. Yeah, and apparently, while we don't see this, uh, the last shot we get is 
Exactly. Yeah. After Cassidy, the cameras, he makes it back to his feet and he gets uh, freshly squeezed. And thank you, Orange. Mm-hmm. Chance for a while. And um, well, they they do that before before he gets to his feet. That's how the show closes. That's right, because he does eventually get back up before the cameras right. go off. And apparently, the best friends and Chris Statlander is hanging out with them again, which is nice. Yeah, they did come down and give him a group hug in the middle of the ring. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just this was another one where I was like, maybe I'm overvaluing this just because of where I was emotionally when I watched it. But I look at this and I just see everything I love about all elite wrestling and just what it has given this industry and the people and the talents that it has elevated. You're not overvaluing it emotionally. No, the fact that you're feeling those kind of emotions means it's a good match. Yeah. So just, I, I look at this and I see just two guys who have, who have made it clear that they will give their all for this company. This is in the best sense what getting worked is. Yeah. You know, a lot of people throw that out there as a pejorative when people are like, I don't, I don't like they complain about something emotionally and someone will go, you're getting worked. Of course you don't like it. It's like, no, getting worked ideally is you watching this match and going, holy fuck, I love this. Yeah, just seeing only the story and not thinking about the performers or the gimmicks or anything else. Just seeing the story that they're telling. And yeah, just for that reason and just for everything this match represents about AEW and what that company means to me, I'm going to give out the second five rating in my time hosting This Is A Work. That just That match was everything I want professional wrestling to be. And I can't think of a thing that I would change or want different about it. I can only say in my clearly unbiased opinion that you're correct in every way. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, that um, people complained about the build to this this pay-per-view. And I kind of get that because they were sort of trying to do double duty between All In and, and All Out. And then after All In, they had about a week to sort of transition everything over. Mm-hmm. And that was before dramas, firings and all that. So yeah, I think the lesson is don't do these a week apart. Yeah, I would I would give them a little more breathing <laughs> do, space. Next do anything year. but that. Yeah, just four weeks, four weeks, and you've got it. And yeah. it seems like they're uh, already working on uh, on uh, shaking up their pay per view schedule because they've announced Wrestle Dream right. coming in October, and I'm guessing that was originally going to be what Danielson came back for because it is going to be out of Seattle. Right. Um, is a tribute show to Antonio Inoki, although mm-hmm. it's not. I don't think it's officially a collaboration for New Japan. It's but not. It's. I don't. I think they just. Uh, they. They just got the rights to the name, or, or they have. They have yeah. the name. Yeah. I think Tony's public statement has just been. Obviously, he hopes talent will participate, but it's not an official right. like cross promotional right. thing. But uh, I look forward to seeing that. Um, and I'm just gonna again. There was a lot that was working against this pay per view, and I just for all the. Uh, the talent came out, showed up, and just put their hearts on the line. I got to give this overall card four and a half out of five meet forever chance. <laughs> All right. Well, Chris, this has been a fun one to talk about. I admit sure. when I watched this, this watched uh, the show this weekend, I was just excited to get in here and break it down because, again, I... <laughs> I feel like I went back and listened to the SummerSlam episode and I was like, man, I was not in a happy place when I watched that. And that card did not make me happier, but all in it, or sorry, all out just got me to ah, such an emotional high in that way that really good wrestling does. All right. Do you have uh, any other thoughts you wanted to give in before we not wrap really. up? Really? No, I think it's all out there. All that indeed. Oh, uh, we didn't even mention uh, WWE payback was also this weekend. So I know. I heard it was good. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. 
All right. Well, David, do you have anything you'd like to leave the nice listeners with? Uh, am I taking that to mean that we are not doing a payback episode? Uh, Shelby and Gina might take that one. I actually never got a firm conclusion. But if not, uh, the official take of this is a work is that uh, the pay-per-view was probably fine. That's pro- I, you're, uh, you know, watch at your own risk. That's you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if we don't do one, I'm perfectly fine with it. If Shelby and Gina come to me and say, hey, we want to do it, I'll absolutely record it for them. Uh, or I might ask Kara to do it either this or. Is but the, this is the strongest <laughs> the strongest amount of damning with faint praise I've ever heard. I don't know what they could say that we haven't already said. Look, I feel like we it, covered it pretty at extensively. At this point, going back and watching it, I feel I will be disappointed. <laughs> but not, I mean, not even to say it's a bad pay-per-view, but... We just spent about two hours praising this show up and down and basically giving it high marks. I don't think Payback is going to live up to that. Almost certainly not. Uh, Robert, if people want to reach out to you online or follow you online, someplace that isn't Twitter slash X, where can they do that at? Um, every now and then, you'll look over your shoulder and you'll see a flicker of a shadow in the distance behind you. It's Eddie Kingston, run. Yeah. I, I just wanted to warn people about that. Otherwise, I'm nowhere in particular. Oh, okay. Uh, Chris, do you utilize any social media that isn't Twitter? No, I keep forgetting about Instagram, even though I shouldn't, but... Okay, well, I also don't use Twitter, but you can find me on Instagram, at dbhensley. And you can follow us uh, as the podcast on Instagram at Long Walk Podcast, which is singular, uh, and at This Is A Takeover. If you want to keep up with Long Walk Productions, you can visit us online at longwalk.us to see more of our original work or hear past episodes that are no longer streaming. You can follow the YouTube links in the show notes. Thank you very much for listening. And if you enjoy this show or any of the shows on the Long Walk Podcast Network, Please make sure to leave us a rating and a review on whatever platform you are listening on. And ladies and gentlemen, from all of us here at This Is A Work, remember, sometimes the backpack's too heavy, sometimes your face gets bloody, sometimes the other guy just wins the match. But if you walk out of there with some best friends to support you and some fans cheering your name, well, I think you're still a champion. Rest up, Orange Cassidy, and we can't wait to see you again. I'm Redbeard Robert Bradford. I'm sorry, what? And Chris does not have a catchphrase. But he will by next time. Let's so guys, let's go slap some meats together. Mm-mm. Mm.